still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding Who bled a gusher in a white suit Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger Everyone knows it's corny It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Through, right here. The Elimination Chamber Hangover Edition. On another winter's day, 2023. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have questions. And questions and a review, and who knows what else, with this man, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. Couldn't you have strung that out a little longer? Couldn't you have put more emphasis on each word and spoken like they do on the wrestling programs where now we will talk to our star of the... And, and that way it would have who taken... that? Even longer for you to introduce me so that I could have sat here and slapped my cheeks and pinched my cheeks and yeah, put some you... color in my face and pinched my butt cheeks together, do something to get some energy. It's bit it's you're right, it's a hangover edition. What about the winter's day, by the way? Where do you where are you finding the winter? First of all, let me explain this. Tomorrow, as we speak, here in Louisville, Kentucky, tomorrow and the next day, Thursday, are going to be record highs of all time for the days after 130-something years, almost 80 degrees in February, and then we're going to have storms, and then it's going to be in the 40s on Friday. The weather is schizophrenic. The trees, some of the trees are actually budding because they're confused. In the middle of the wintertime, the fucking buds are coming out. There's pollen alerts for those of us with the allergies. And in addition to that, we just talked about this dadgum wrestling for five hours on a supersized edition of the Jim Cornette Experience this past weekend. And I'll have you know that another one of these pesky television crews that follow me around constantly were here at the castle for about nine hours yesterday, and I was speaking for eight hours of that. So my voice... So stay tuned to Inside Edition later this week to find out what happened to those bodies. Well, you're going you're gonna to be seeing a lot of me over the coming months and potentially even the, this entire year by the time we get finished with it. So get ready for that. But uh, so I'm I'm a little I'm a little rasp a little froggy, I'm like I'm like Aubrey Edwards I'm a little hoarse, 
Uh, That's not nice. Come on. This this uh, this edition of the program is has in, been entitled "Get the Flim Out" episode. It, w- it would have been if we started recording a few minutes earlier. Yeah, but it wasn't even me. It was you too. It's very damp out. It's a very damp time of month. It's a damp, damp. I don't know time. what to say. Yeah, it's a damp day. A very de- so very low visibility. I'm- I go down to Memphis the summer of 81 for the big fucking dream match card that Jerry Jarrett booked. Another genius idea that he had that they took around a territory for a month or six weeks and drew big. And it wasn't the dream matches like the fans have today. Oh, let's see flying Billy Bailey and his little cannonball friend Steve against fucking super duper pooper from Japan or whatever. It was the... The wrestlers got to get their their fucking match that they really wanted if they would agree to give their nemesis the match they really wanted, and all the stipulations were obviously stacked in the favor of the person asking for the match, blah, blah, blah. And it drew over 10,000 people on the, the, as I recall, the last Monday of the month, it, it, which was amazing even yet, and I think there was five Mondays in that. But no, I, I digress. So I go down to Memphis. I'm there over the weekend, and I go with Jimmy Hart and the first family to the radio station on Monday morning to shoot pictures of them and just, you know, see them do the radio show, right? And it's Golden Boy Chick Donovan, and I think Dream Machine was definitely there. Potentially, who was his partner at that point in time? Possibly, oh, God damn it, I can't remember. What, 83? Uh, no, this was 81. 81 and, and maybe Coco was with us. If Dream Machine was a babyface, maybe Dream Machine would no Dream Machine was in the family at that time, I think. No, wait, Dream Machine was a babyface. So point is it was Jimmy Hart and Chick Donovan and a couple members of the first family that I can't remember. But the reason why I remember Chick is because he had blown his knee out and he was on crutches and he's wearing the powder blue tuxedo with the dark, dark blue uh cummerbund and and bow tie. That he and he had the fucking glitter in his hair, and he's completely done up in a gimmick, but he's on these fucking crutches from Walgreens. And he's trying to, you know, motivate himself around the radio station. He says, Where's the restroom? And it's, oh, it's right down the hall. So as he goes down the hall, he turns and goes in the bathroom door. He gets his fucking crutches tangled up as he's trying to push the door open with one hand, and one of them flips out from under him. He falls sideways. The, the crutches, flip out of the fucking bathroom door while Chick falls into the bathroom and the only thing you can see is his feet laying there. And we all run up and he's picking himself up off the goddamn toilet where he's fell in a fucking puddle of piss at the foot of it as sometimes men leave. And he's looking up and he just shakes it. He's looking at his knee brace and everything. He's it's a dark day. It's a very <laughs> dark day. <laughs> It cracked me up at the time, Ida. But anyway, so today on the program, it's your program, right? Yeah, where are you going? Take the blame for this. You know what? You could run with it. Go with it. No, no. Feel I'll, it. I'll walk with it. Enjoy Thank this you. winter's day. Come on. Would you like to walk with Ezekiel? I'll walk with the great Brian last. Um, but it's your program. But so you're gonna take the blame and dictate the. And maybe I'll walk a few steps behind. Maybe I'll walk a few steps behind you. Yeah. I walk alone. Anyway, I just want to remind the people, the people, the cult of Cornette that have stuck with us 
See, you got five hours on the experience, folks, so you're already fucking ahead of the game, and you pay dick all a shit for this anyway. It's, it's, it's free. It's gratis. You know what that means, don't you, Brian? Gratis, of course. That means you pay nothing. That's fucking Candido. Candido came in the locker room in Smoky Mountain one day, and he had met some fan that had, had managed a restaurant or whatever and had given him and Tammy the big free lunch and everything. And But he's talking about the lunch. He said, I met this guy. He said, come over to the restaurant. He said, oh, we ate this, we ate that, we ate the other thing. And you know what the best part of it was? We said, what's that? He said, it was gratis. That means you pay nothing. <laughs> anyway, nevertheless, so where was I going with that? Oh, so we did five hours. On on Saturday, on this weekend on multiple days of the experience. So if, if you're complaining about the free entertainment because this show isn't entertaining, well then just direct those complaints to the great Brian Last. That's and right. yes, we are going to talk about Raw today, I guess. But oh, I got I, 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 how can I overlook the big cameo date is fast approaching. You know, February is a short month. We've only got another week or so left in it 28 days how the fuck did february be the one to get shortchanged couldn't they have taken a day or two off of some of them 31 day months and put it over in february so it could be more even does the world stop turning in the proper way and the sun would crash into the moon if we had 30 days in february who who made this goddamn calendar hey you know yesterday was a weird day because it was a bank holiday because it was a federal holiday and I watched some HBO during the day while I was working as opposed to financial news or regular news or whatever would be on in the background on the monitor. There was some movie that came out last year. Moonfall? You hear about this movie? Moonfall? The moon crashes into the earth. The moon gets off its normal orbit and crashes into the fucking earth. Well, that, that'd leave a mark. What, what did it, where did it hit? It hit, well, it just hit, uh, I think it started in the North Atlantic, actually. What do you mean started in the North Atlantic? Well, it kind of was coming and then it down roll, slowly. It rolled around the, the circumference of the Earth. It I, didn't. Wouldn't it just go boom and maybe straight through if it had a good trajectory? Well, it's pretty big, A, and B, yeah. um, you know, you got to <laughs> This is the stupidest argument we've ever heard. Well, well, no, we, hey, we, <laughs> we, we spent much stupider. 10 That's minutes right. the other day trying to determine if you eat Fish, can you still be a Presbyterian or whatever? So hold on, Moonfall. I think it was called Moonfall. I was like, who's this good-looking woman in it? And it was Halle Berry with no makeup on. I thought it was a different person. Hold on. Moonfall, a science fiction disaster film. In 2011, astronauts, uh, we don't need their names, go on a space shuttle mission to repair a satellite. A mysterious swarm of alien technology attacks ah. the orbiter killing one of them, knocking the other one unconscious before tunneling into the surface of the moon. One of them witnesses it and goes back. And that was the other scary part of the whole thing. All of a sudden, in the middle of it, the story becomes about AI. What's happening now? AI getting bigger and bigger and eventually resenting things with biological systems <laughs> and <laughs> destroying all of men. Wait a minute. That's right. Cause it, you, you can't eat anything with a central nervous system and be a Presbyterian. Go ahead. Well that, yeah, I guess you just summed up the movie and then eventually uh, it comes to the North Atlantic and uh, people eventually uh, win. Well, now you spoiled it. You aren't going to watch it anyway. 
I would, I, when are you going to watch been, The King of Kong? When are you going to watch The King of no, Kong? No, if I would have watched this movie, I might have been pulling for the fucking aliens or the artificial intelligence. I think you would have been scared. Scared about the future of mankind, actually. What's Mick Foley got to do with this? Oh, this is the worst show. This is the worst I'm scared. Show. I'm scared to go any further without yeah. saying that cameo. Let's get back to the cameo. Saturday, March 4th. What a deal. Noon. Oh, what a great deal that is. Well, there you go. See, you've heard it from Brian last. And he he don't spend money squeezing nickel till a buffalo farts. But <laughs> for the people who got left out of the Valentine's Day set of cameos we did, we're doing one more. Try to please them. Saturday, March the 4th at noon Eastern. You can go to cameo.com slash Jim Cornette or just go to jimcornette.com, as you should be doing on a daily basis anyway, buying another piece of merchandise. And click on the cameo button on the front page, and that will take you right to it on Saturday, March 4th at noon. 80 more we're going to do, and then we're off for at least a couple months because of the busyness of the springtime, which is already coming, apparently. Uh, so there, there you go. You know, I had never seen this movie or heard about this movie. I just bumped into it. Oh, you're back it. on this fucking, you've, well, you've spoiled the goddamn finish, <laughs> and now you're going to go back to the movie. I'm looking at the critical response here. On Rotten Tomatoes, 36% of 214 critics' reviews, and I don't know who these critics are, are positive, with an average rating of 4.4 out of 10. The website reads, Whether Moonfall is so bad it's good, or simply bad, <laughs> will depend on your tolerance for B-movie cheese, but either way, this is a disaster thriller through and through. A disaster of a thriller. Oh, well, why do they never... See, you just spoiled the finish when you... Well, the, the people win. The people. You don't know what that means. Well, no, I didn't spoil any finish. You know, people. The people. It, it's, all, it's all the same. It's like WWE booking to where it's always the same is that the, the human race wins in the end. Why can't they do a movie at some point where the fucking aliens come down and kick the shit out of us and eradicate us and then start a new civilization to hopefully do it better this time. And it's something uplifting in the end. You would only be proposing this if you thought they were going to come down and worship you and follow you. Well, they do. And you'd need, be the one human leading them along the way. They do need somebody with some common sense and, and a little wisdom to be able to show them around. So I'll, I'll be glad to speak to them about it. All right. Well, this has been a great episode of the drive through so far. We want to thank Are everyone. Are we done for, now? Want thank to thank you, everyone thank for years folks. and years of listening to this show. It's all coming crashing. It's coming down, crashing but... down. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about today. Raw we is. Do? We do somehow. Yes. Uh, today. And. This minute, if possible. Yeah. One of them is fresh on our minds, Jim. Last night, another edition of WWE. Raw or Monday Night Raw, whatever the official title is, still in Canada. And it was a big edition of Raw, the Raw after Elimination Chamber. They're, they're never going to leave Canada until Sammy quits getting these big pops, because it makes their television show. And thank you for stringing that intro out long enough so I could get the phlegm out after I was <laughs> wheezing there. Um, so, yes, they were in Ottawa which the, the unfortunately named city in Canada that sounds like the noise you make right before you vomit. 
but and and Ontario, that's a very that's I think as I remember, I've been there once. I spent I spent a month there one night, and I think that's close to Montreal as you can get, isn't it? In Ontario, so it's still a hometown crowd. It's the home country crowd. You know them Canadians. They're proud people. Proud people. So Sammy comes out first thing, and it's sing along with Sammy. They say they articulate his song, even though it's an instrumental, and they chant Sammy and Ole, 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 Ole. Apparently now that see, I was thinking that that was some fucking bullfight thing, right? But which went along with El Generico being a luchador from Mexico. And that's why they, but apparently that's a Montreal thing. Did you know this? I don't know what's what, because when Jose Reyes came up to the Mets in like 2003, 2004, the Mets fans all started chanting, Jose, 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 Jose. <laughs> so I don't know where it originates from, to be quite honest with you. The words may be different, Jose, but that Jose, theme. Jose, Jose, no way, no way. <laughs> uh, but no, they they do it at, at the uh, uh, Canadians games or whatever. They do the ole, ole. I, 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 that's what I've now read. But uh, but they love him, and he he's in the ring, and he's he's looking down. He's got the aw shucks, and he's humble and lovable, as our dear Sammy the Shoe Shine boy, humble and lovable. Um, and then he he he's does the right like, guy for the, you know what? Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, he's handled this just so well. It well, it's genuine emotion because uh, he's proud of this, as well as him being able to be a great public speaker, which you can, you can show emotion, but if you can't say suey, if the hogs have you, then that doesn't work. And you can talk all you want. If you just sound like a, one of these artificial intelligent, whatever. Although they sound better than some of the boys now, but anyway, he did a perfect baby face promo. And with emotion and inflection in his delivery, and he feels guilty. Well, you know, he thanked the fans for the responses he's been getting. They chant, you deserve it. And that's why he feels guilty that he let the people down, that he came just that short. And they're, oh, no, 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 Sammy, you know, there's sympathy. He's building up some sympathy. But then he he redeems himself in his viewpoint. He said, I realize the story around here is never over. But we are entering the final chapter. Now, I'm not sure about that verbiage. The st- he said, the story is never over, but we're entering the final chapter. You can't have your Kate and Edith, too. You rascal, you. Oh, lady, who? But it was a great babyface promo. It said exactly what needed to be said after he didn't win the title, but nobody's blaming him. And then he shifts gears. He says, but there's one person I need to talk to. And you can tell the people wanted to see this. And they kind of, they had to, they knew somehow these two were going to interact. I need to talk to one person, Kevin Owens. And the music plays and he gets a big pop. Not as big as Sammy's. But he it was there. And he comes out to the ring and and listens to Sammy because he's got the non-committal kind of stern face on. And again, the pitch here from Sammy, I'm not talking about a tonal pitch, I'm talking about the sales pitch, was perfect. You know, I, I, I guess 
I need to say thank you. I need to say I'm sorry, but we're we're past that point, I guess, of words with all that's gone on. He even is Sammy's voice was quivering. And he makes the proposition to KO that you only care about taking down the bloodline. And I want to take down the bloodline. But you haven't been able to do it alone, and I can't do it alone. But, and he builds it up, we can do it together. And there's the big pop from the people. Oh, they think they're going to see the joyous hug. And Owens, that cranky bastard, shuts them right down. I don't need thanks. I don't need an apology. I didn't do it for you. I did it for your family and for my family. My family had to watch me get the shit kicked out of me back at the wherever the show was. And I didn't want them, your family, to have to go through the same thing that mine did. And he fired up really good. And basically, he said, I've been doing this alone, and I'm going to keep doing it alone, because I'm done with you. <laughs> and if you need any help, ask your buddy Jay. And he walked off, and people were booing because they thought they were going to get to see that big hug. But this is perfect, because we don't, we haven't, tied everything up in the neat little bow. Now we got to wonder what the fuck is going to motivate grumpy old Grinch Kevin to finally re-embrace his ginger friend. And we've got, what is it? We've got six weeks to WrestleMania or thereabouts, don't we? Six weekends of TV before we find out if and or when that KO and and Sammy will reunite against, you know, Jimmy and Jay, potentially, if they're not. It, it's great. So I, I love the opening segment. Considering who was in this segment, and you had to do something like this because the pay-per-view was over the weekend and everyone was talking about it. The buzz was there. But from here to WrestleMania, would you use these guys, Sammy Zayn, Kevin Owens, I'll throw Cody on that list, the Usos. Would you use them on both shows? Well, I as a as a rule of thumb, just say, okay, we gotta do it. No, you don't want to do that. But Sammy's already been crossing back and forth. He can hop in right. anytime he wants under cover of darkness in the hoodie, the magic hoodie. Owens may be harder to disguise or sneak in they might have to wheel him in in a piano case so nobody sees him but but no i kid i i, I kid and i send the love uh but yeah they've got to be able to pop up they're both working from different places to the same purpose to get at the bloodline so they've got to be able to pop up where they might not be expected in order to do something like that and wouldn't it be fun if both of them independently of each other popped up in the same place trying to do something and fucking <laughs> they had a double knockout and cross paths. Oh, there you are. I mean, there's all kinds of things they can do. And like we talked about, Cody could be the one to unite them. And we still don't know how Jay yeah, Uso well, is going to fit into this. Yeah. You know, because already they know, and now somebody smart and or bald headed and bulbous is having a heavy input in this <laughs> in this program and he, and he at least knew i think cuz we knew if we knew it pretty sure he knew it maybe some of the other ones did too 
that Cody and Sammy had to be bosom buddies in some fashion and in support of each other's efforts before they went into this thing, or there could be some, you know, uh, rabble rousing on the issue, but they have already done that. And now, you know, it, it, again, like you said, can Cody be the guy to reunite these former friends to try to take the bloodline down there? Or is it going to be a thing where Sammy, Sammy pitches the idea to Owens and uh, because that way it comes from him that, Hey, if you and I were to be together and stop the Usos, cause maybe something will happen between Jay and, and Sammy. And the fact that we've got this many ideas indicates again, how much fun it is. Maybe then, Sammy says to Owens, if we stop the Usos, there'll be nobody to bail out fucking Roman when Cody fights him in the main event. If we do something with Solo, blah, blah, blah. So you, but they're all working for the same ends. They're just independent until at whatever point they come together. Cody shows up as a surprise on SmackDown or you announce it in advance. Cody has a big announcement. He's going to make it on SmackDown this week of all places. Shows up. Calls out Owens, calls out Zane, says, This is our one chance. It's like Star Wars. You have one shot at the Death Star. This is our one shot. And we can't wait around to see what the hell Jey Uso is going to do. WrestleMania, I take down Roman Reigns. This guy's come out and insulted my family. He's insulted me. I got one mission. I'm going to take down Roman Reigns. If we want to destroy the bloodline, you guys got to take down the Usos. There you go. There it is. But then who's going to contend with that walking juggernaut, Paul Heyman? <laughs> Let's save that for later in the show, because I'm, I'm, the smile is growing on my face right now. <laughs> Let's save that for later in the show. But let me ask you this, Jim. Um, and again, we've recorded a lot in just a few days. But a few days out now, seeing more of the controversy online and the people who really had a major problem with Sammy not getting the world title in Montreal at Elimination Chamber, do you think Monday night should change the way any of them see everything? Or what do you, any final thoughts on that? I know we just talked about it for a few yes, minutes, but. but yes, 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 it should change. They should never have those thoughts to begin with for a variety of reasons. I mean, come on, people. Have we divested ourselves from reality here? And this is not an insult to Sami Zayn, or, no, oh, they shouldn't put the title on him, blah, 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 blah. I'll, I'll explain facts in a minute. But first off, how many of the questions that we just asked would we still be asking if Sami Zayn beat Roman Reigns? It would all be about how would Roman get back the title somehow before WrestleMania. Well, yeah, who wants to? But no, before, maybe not before WrestleMania. Because it, well, oh, then it, yeah. it would... Because here's the thing, if they had put the belt on Sammy and then, and then took it back off of him for WrestleMania, then Sami Zayn is deader than a goddamn Kelsey's nuts, right? Deader than four o'clock. And so they couldn't do that, so then Sammy would have to wrestle Cody. Well, what good's that going to do anybody? Yeah, they're going to boo one of the guys. And then somebody's going to say, well... They ought to have a triple threat. Well, then who's going to win that? Then you beat Roman again, or you beat Cody, or you beat Sammy six weeks later. So, no. And we wouldn't have been asking any of those questions because nobody would give a shit 
about who was going to take down the bloodline because the the big boss, the big dog, the 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 head honcho had already would already been taken down. So what? Who cares if somebody beats the Usos? And then you also, as we talked about on the experience, they're running a worldwide company. It was wonderful that that atmosphere took place in Montreal. And if it was the territory days, you maybe should have made a different call because it'd be one of your main markets. And wow, and you know you can switch things quicker into book. But no, this they're running the world, and they have planned and plotted and kept Roman undefeated for how, this long to be a big moment when the guy that they've anointed as the next guy beats him. And again, irregardless of his talent or the performances he's been turning in, for the WWE worldwide, Cody Rhodes is a better face of the company than Sami Zayn, which even he has said in interviews, I know I'm not the guy that they look for to be. He's, He's a superstar, but he's not the superstar. And they're still going to go for somebody. If Sammy even dresses up in a suit, his gimmick precludes him from doing that. They want somebody like Reigns that either looks fucking physically impressive and cool and, and how he dresses and acts and carries himself, or they want a guy like Cody with the suit and the and the tight and the bloodline, so to speak, of the Rhodes family, everybody's heard. If he didn't have the goddamn neck blotch, it'd be even more wonderful. But they took him anyway. The biggest they, fucking it, mistake ever. But that's why you know Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn can easily go and do promotions and and appearances and publicity. And they a here's. A WWE superstar, Sami Zayn, or but it's not. Here's the WWE champion. For that, they want somebody that has all of the fucking attributes, including the appearance. And as well, for business worldwide overall, the story they have told and are continuing to tell with Cody and his story and his path to winning it for my daddy, the belt it took away from my daddy in the garden. That's bigger, and it's better, and it's longer term, and it makes more sense. And the Roman story. I mean, don't forget, Roman's been champion for all this period of time. He should lose it now, right before Mania? And that doesn't mean that Roman Reigns is going to burst into flames and fucking disappear in, in ashes as soon as he loses, because then they have... Well, Roman wants to get the belt back. You're going to have to try to get a rematch with Cody, but wait a minute, Sammy still wants fucking Roman. And for that matter, maybe Owen still wants right. You know what? Boy, they're just a couple of baby faces short of a real war games with a reason. And well, and actually yeah. they can't, they can't, I was thinking they can't put Heyman in there like they did JJ. So <laughs> one baby only if they put him in a bodysuit. Only, no, uh, fuck, <laughs> only if they put him in a body bag. Oh, don't say um, that. goddamn bump. I th- the bump he took at the pay-per-view, I thought my DVR had suddenly zapped into slow motion on its own. But okay, Roman, 
and Usos and Solo versus Cody and Sammy and Owens and question mark. And there is a war games match or a any kind of match with a reason to fucking have it instead of just a bunch of mismatched, disjointed people. So they've got, and, and the, again, all the rematches with Roman and everybody that wants him, that he doesn't work every goddamn day, so those are going to take a while. But what about the reuniting of Owens and Sammy and their eventual match with the Usos unless the, the Jay won't come to come to the table? All, all that shit would be shot if they switched the belt. And so, no, and, and it's just, it's either from the, the smarkiest, smartest of the smart fans or the news site people that cater to them and say what they want to hear that, oh, this moment, oh, this moment, this magic moment when Sammy won in Montreal, it was so good. I jacked off 16 times, and then it happened. I, got I fell in my puddle of goo. Oh, come on. And I was disheartened. Wouldn't you be too in a puddle of goo? Okay, okay, enough, <laughs> enough. This is no longer my show. My apologies to everyone who ever worked in the Brill Building ever. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to recover, but so, so, no. <laughs> they shouldn't. They should. Should have switched the goddamn belt. <laughs> that Benny King was a talented man, and well, let's drift on back to the show, shall we? That sounds like a good idea. I'll stand by you. <laughs> God damn it! All right. <laughs> So, <laughs> motherfucker. So goo, goo is goo. the word you went for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little dizzy. Um. So they went to the break when Owens had walked out, and when they come back from the break, and they'd done this in picture and pic. Does anybody watch the picture in picture? I've got a 72-inch screen in the goddamn TV room, and the picture-in-picture picture is still only about 18 inches across, and I'm sitting 10 feet away because I've got a 72-inch screen, and there's no audio. My youngest daughter watched a lot of Raw with me this week because she was just interested in what I was watching, and she doesn't really watch wrestling, so she was into it. When the picture-in-picture picture happened, she looked away. She wanted me to show her stuff on the computer and do other things. Yeah. So, but during that, Baron Von Corbin came out and jumped Sami Zayn in the entranceway and roughed him up. And by the time they come back, he's in the ring, is the Baron, the Baron. How dare you? Don't you and dare. He, well, grace to the name. He is all the people need to know. Uh, and he's cutting a promo on Sami's. I'm the last person to beat Roman Reigns. And. Fuck you. Could you tell that nobody now wants to see Baron Von Corbin? Yeah. I mean, the people are just sitting there because they've already had JBL come out and call him everything but a fucking redheaded stepchild and dismiss him as a joke. And he gets beat by everybody. And now he's out there talking tough. And I don't even think if, if for the average fan with 
you know, that doesn't research this stuff or give two shits to look it up, I don't think anybody believes he beat Roman Reigns. I think they're just say, think he's saying that. So Sammy gets pissed and Adam Pierce comes out and said, well, have at it. Just go right on. And so Booby jumps in. And this is our first match. Boom, boom, boom. Sami Zayn and Baron Von Corbin. And they go two minutes to the break. Okay, so they come back from the break. And I think they may have actually gone another two minutes. And Sammy hit him with his kick and beat him. So thanks for wasting our time, Baron Von Corbin. Uh, it, I, it was... Uh, it's good to get Sammy a good win. I'm not, and I certainly think that they can have anybody they want to beat Baron Von Corbin. But when they build up to these or shoot an angle or just, you know, like this is in any way important. And as soon as the match starts, they cut away from it. We get entrances, we get packages, we get commercials, we get plugs, we get long interviews, we get backstage out the ass, but whenever the actual meat of the program is taking place, a match, they go 90 seconds or two minutes and they go to the break and they have trained their fans that the matches are the skippable shit. So I, anyway. What do you think? I agree with you, but I kind of saw this a little differently, and I saw this as almost another moment of Sammy standing there and the cheers happening. They were going to give this audience on Raw, where Sammy Zayn usually doesn't wrestle, Sammy Zayn tonight. He got the promo. He got a Sammy Zayn match. Yes. It happened to be against Corbin, but it's like when Hogan showed up to wrestle Johnny Rods one day. <laughs> Holy shit, Hogan's here. But why did they have to go to the break if they're only going to show four minutes of the thing on the air, just have him beat him in four fucking minutes? I agree with you on that. And then go to the break. But I'm not as smart as the producers over there. All right. But it's just, again, they they went longer in the commercial break for the people in the arena than they did actually on the air. So I'm just, if you're not going to have a TV match that lasts more than four minutes on the air, just show the fucking thing and go to the break afterwards because you demean the matches or degrade or diminish or whatever D word I'm looking for. Uh, and they, there was a sit down in the back. I'm not even going to talk about the backstage shit because it's all just either meaningless, nothing happens or just blah. But there was a sit-down with Rhea Ripley and Dominic, and God, they don't have the life they have in that atmosphere when, when they're in the ring live. And it's they're very it's laid back and it's scripted stuff. And I don't know that those do any good for anybody. It's obviously prepared shit. Uh, but let's go to the next match because the bell rang. For match number two on this program, 49 minutes into the show. <laughs> and that match was Dolph Ziggler versus Muhammad Ali. And Mustafa, <sighs> or Mustafa Ali. Well, see, if you don't know, don't, don't I know. try to pronounce his name. I Just know. Let me do it. I know, although there were... Well, you've given him several names there now. Well, so did they on commentary if you listen to this match. 
Well, I actually, I blinked and missed it because instead of going to the break after two minutes, <laughs> Ali just rolled him up in two minutes and beat boom. There you go. Dolph Ziggler, my God, he's so talented. Does anybody now or will anybody ever care about Muhammad Ali? Well, Muhammad Ali is um, considered by a lot of people the greatest boxer of all time. Mustafa Ali, I don't know that he has fans. I don't see it. But they keep trying to get people to be into him. It seems like every time they try to give him a hard push, it just immediately turns back that he's doing jobs the next week on TV. With Dolph Ziggler, we have a guy who's undoubtedly very, very talented in the ring. He was a world champion. It's hard to even remember that because of the way he's been used for as long as you and I have been watching, at a minimum. Yeah. Do you see someone like Sami Zayn, someone who was working with Johnny Knoxville not too long ago, do you see someone like that and the way someone like that was, because it wasn't just him and his talent, it was the way they were using him to use that talent. Do you see the rejuvenation of a wrestling personality? Is that a possible thing for someone like Dolph who's been there this long? Because he's one of these guys I think is really good. However, if I see him on Raw or in any of their shows, I mean, at this point, I don't. Yeah, want... you know, you yeah, know, you know. He, they've they've just brought him in because he's the best worker, so he's going to be penalized for that by doing a job for whoever and trying to lead him through it by the nose. Uh, with it's different with Sammy. Sammy was never a pushed, focused on main event level singles wrestler to the level that, like you said, Dolph actually won the belt at one point, and then he was just there too long, and they didn't have anything for him long enough that he became pigeonholed in this spot. And I'm, I guess at this point, he's probably happy with it because, you know, he doesn't work that often and does his other shit and whatever the fuck. Right. And uh, I'm sure makes a lot of money. But the problem is, is that now he can't, if he went tomorrow to AEW or anywhere else, I don't think he can be a different person because he's been around so long in the biggest promotion that everybody knows who he is. And even under another name, you know, you know who that guy is and who else works like that and looks like that. Could you do Tracy and Smothers with him, you know, sitting on his porch? Yeah, you know me. You heard what they said about me on TV. Well... Here's, uh, not to that level, not the aw shucks of uh, Tracy Smothers, yeah. but could you do that? Could he basically come out on AEW television and go, look, everybody knows that I'm better than I've been presented as, and, you know, I was doing what I was told because I was under contract to blah, 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 but it's been so long that he's been doing what he was told because he was under contract that people say, yeah. well, you've signed new contracts. It's not like when Tracy did that promo after he left WCW, he was like, you know, they made me somebody I wasn't. And I got out of there as quick as I could type of thing. And I beg your forgiveness because this is who I really am. And that worked, but not he's been there doing this shit for seven fucking years now. So 
And I mean, the the AEW fans would that. like his. Well, I mean, he's been there longer than that, but he's been being jobbed to death, beaten like a rug for at least that long. At least that long, yeah. Um, the AEW fans would probably like his talent, and he would automatically in ring be in the upper five percentile of the AEW talent roster. But can any in any promotion? Could anybody take him seriously as a threat to the singles title picture after the way they have just pulverized him? You know, it's a shame. I don't know. New haircut comes out there, denounces the name Dolph Ziggler. That's not my, that that could be the Tracy ish part of it. That's not my name. Instead of uh, Casper Wyoming, the name Dolph Ziggler is a ridiculous (laughs) name. That's not my name. That's not me. This is who I am. Again, Crew cut or something. Sorry if you like your hair. No, no, not actually. I said he, when he was Nick Nemeth in OVW, he had pretty close to a crew cut and he, he looks better this way. He looks like a rock star instead of a fucking CPA. But you know, that's again, how can I miss you? If you won't go away is the theme of modern wrestling. When guys are under contracts for long periods of time and, or, when they're other under contracts for large amounts of money that they're paid to be flunkies more than they can make being a star almost anywhere else, it, you know, that, but it eventually that damages and eradicates their positive public image. But you know, they, you know, you can't only the, the most, I hold that thought only the most premium of talent, the Undertakers and Austins and whoever the fuck can be a main event guy nonstop for years and years and years in the national promotions. And if you stick around after they've run out of things to do with you and they're not going to feature you anymore, then that's what you, you run the risk of being pigeonholed as a flunky forevermore. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, whether it's Sammy going from jackass to Roman Reigns or... Uh, Baron Corbin going from homeless to uh, jobless. I don't know what he what he's about to be. Or Dolph Ziggler here, having long hair, or maybe getting a new haircut and starting anew. Renovation seems to be the theme here. And a lot of people say that some wrestlers are like your old bathroom. You need to get some big men to come in and renovate it. <laughs> Some people say that. Some people, I've heard them. <laughs> I've heard them on the streets. They say that. You know, some people say that that these old used up wrestlers are like your bathroom, and that they've got mold in the tile, and they've got funk in the grout. They've got grotten. That's rotten grout. Or you know, you've got a variety. Just if they just look old, they just look old and dilapidated and broke down. And there's been so many people that have 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 been in, in, in those showers and used them, that they're all used up and they're wore out. And that's why, folks, if you would like to renovate your shower or bath, there then you need to look no further, not to new wrestlers or old wrestlers. And I don't know about you, Brian, last wanting large men to come into your bathroom. We'll talk about that at a later date. But look no further than the folks at West Shore Home. And I am, do you hear me? I'm rubbing my hands together and clapping them with enthusiasm because now that we have found 
West Shore home and made a relationship with them. I can't wait for the things that they're going to do out here at the uh, castle this coming year. As and I actually I was going to wait for warm weather, but apparently that's already here, so they might be here sooner than I think. But West Shore Home is the fastest growing shower and bath remodeling company in the United States and I'm sure you've seen the commercials, folks, if you're where the West Shore Home tentacles reach. Because what they do is they come in in one day. They start in the morning and they finish before dinner. It depends on what time you eat now. If you're a fucking 90-year-old woman, you're eating at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and going to sleep at 5, well, it, it, didn't, it may not be before dinner. But nevertheless, they come in in one day and they fully replace your old shower or bathtub with a modern shower or bath. They've got the step-ins and they've got the sit-downs and they've got their shelves and they've got designs, built-in seats, doors, windows, magnetic shower heads. This is space-age technology, folks, that they apply here. And the way they can do it in only one day, they don't just show up on Thursday morning at 9 o'clock and say, well, let us take a look at the thing and see what we can do for you. They come out ahead of time. They've got design consultants, remodeling professionals that come out and show you everything they can do, all the beautiful laser-etched designs in the shower they've even got, or the bathtub, all the different uh, add-ons and the different extras and the different bells and whistles that can... Well, you'll never leave the bathroom. Holy mega, you know, use the stuff that we tell you to on the other programs like with seed and you'll never leave the bathroom you'll be going from toilet to shower to sink and back again we need a a, a toothpaste sponsor brian we'd have everything covered this sounds like a good reason to renovate your bathroom you're going to be getting a lot of usage exactly you're going to be bouncing from one place to the other in that bathroom you're you're never going to see your family again you're going to you're not going to want to leave the house or the bathroom so they come out and they show you all this stuff and they get everything the way that you want it and then the remodelers come and do the one-day bath replacement. Fast, easy, and convenient. No work for you. Plenty of work for them. They're going to be sweating and straining. Holy mackerel, they're going to be picking stuff up. It's so heavy, they're going to fart like a fucking foghorn every time they strain up under it. But they're going to do everything. You do nothing. And let the dog go in and raise his leg and piss on them. They won't care. They're single-minded in their purpose. They're right in there until they finish. And then your old, rusty, worn down, leaky, moldy, smelly shower with the fungus growing in the drain and the hairballs that it seemed to be everywhere will be completely gone and it will be instead a beautiful and sanitary surface for you to clean yourself or bathe or eat dinner in your tub or make bathtub gin or whatever you do. Or vodka. Vodka that can, well, if you're Russian, you could make bathtub vodka. Folks, right now, you need to call West Shore Home if you live in or around these places that West Shore Home has established themselves in. I will tell you where they are. Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Richmond, Salisbury, Virginia Beach, Winston-Salem, Charlotte, Greenville, Asheville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Charleston, Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, Greenville, New Bern, Columbia, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Orlando, Ocala, Tampa, Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, Oklahoma City, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Phoenix, Denver, Colorado Springs, 
and Salt Lake City. Amazing. That's so impressive. Wow. And they do windows and doors. Wow. Check out the website to see which locations that you can request the free window and door remodeling preview where they will close you up in your home and you'll never be able to get out. No, that's not how it works. Don't say that. Well, one of these days you'll find out, kid. Right now, go to promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim. Don't forget about slashing Jim. Jim, not Jim. Jim, that's what I said. Not Jim. Jim. Okay. My name. That's right. You're still drinking the bathtub gin. They don't, they don't slash the gin. They just bring you the bathtub. You got to make the gin promo dot West shore home dot com slash Jim. As I said, don't forget about the slash Jim or we won't get the credit for sending you over there. And I got some windows and doors that need some attention this year. So anyway, promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim. Get rid of that stinky, smelly, moldy shower or bathtub. And and especially if you've got in-laws or relatives or delicate female members of the family going in there, you don't want them to be smelling that funk. It smells like a man eating from Munda cheese in the septic tank of a slaughterhouse. Get a new bathtub and shower. Don't be growing green furry shit. Westshorehome.com promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim. That's right, Jim. West Shore Home. And of course, maybe we can ask them to come in here and rejuvenate and renovate this program, or maybe they can rejuvenate. Would you like me me to sing again? Everybody plays the fool sometimes. It's no exception to the rule. Listen, baby. I'm sorry. I just crossed my mind. Go ahead. When I was a kid, we thought it was everybody is a fool. We used to say that. <laughs> How about the Bee Gees? More than a woman? People thought it was bald-headed woman. Bald-headed woman. <laughs> really? You heard that one? I did not know that one, no. How about Jimi Hendrix? Excuse me while I kiss this guy. That one I know. Yeah. There are ones I know that like no one else would ever think of. and Well, the, I'm the, sure the versions... they are, you humble and lovable no, soul. The versions I came up with, I think, are better than the original, or at least I like them better now. You know the Harry Nilsson song the monkeys did, Cuddly Toy? I, uh, that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. It was, it was actually cut. a hit. It was actually a hit, but, you know, I guess what? Some, some people just don't know the hits. But cuddly fucking what? Was cuddly toy, hit? not cuddly fucking. I don't know what you're doing over there with your furry friends. I'm talking about Cuddly Toy by Harry Nilsson, but later covered by the monkeys. Where did that, where did that stop on the top 40 charts Hold if on. you're calling it a hit? Hold on. Hold on, because you have to make this about the monkeys. Hold on. Well, they're not going to make a monkey out of me, pal. Cuddly toy. Uh, no, this is. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm not going to have my monkeys discography fucking knowledge maligned with you saying that this was a hit. Hold on, monkeys. I'm trying to find. There's no Wikipedia for the actual song. Uh, I'm not surprised. Cuddly toy. Chart placement. I can run the down to the monkeys. TV room and get my book of Billboard Top 40 singles. I got my discography over here. I was trying to do it quick on the fucking computer. Cuddly Toy song. This is a different... This is... What, what? the fuck is this? This is not the Somebody song Somebody has for. ripped off Cuddly Toy? The, yeah, this is... Oh, Beverly Knight. I don't know who this is. Well, how dare that bitch? Hold on. No, don't What's say that. Like, you don't know who she is. She well, could be a nice person. She don't know who I am. 
She better find out because who's left? Who's left from the monkeys? Poor Davy Jones is in the Just locker. Mickey Dolans is the only one Mike left. Nesbitt, Mickey, okay, on behalf of Mickey Dolans, I'm calling Stephen P. New if this bitch has stolen cuddly toy away from the monkeys. So where did it chart? This hold hit? on, hold on. I just grabbed my Great Rock discography from uh-huh. over here on the count on the uh, on the well, wall. Well, now do you know that? Is it by date or by alphabetized by song? Because you're going to have to flip through a number of years there to. Oh no, this book gives you for each artist if they're in here. It gives you every chart placement they ever had. Uh, well, there you go. And it's another book that disrespects the monkeys. They're not even in. Oh, here they are. Okay. What? God <laughs> They're in here as monkeys, not the monkeys. I should have known better. All right, Cuddly Toy. Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yeah, I'll buy that. Written by Neil Diamond. Hold on, I gotta find it. Written by... No, it was not written by Neil Diamond, actually. You're wrong. Wasn't it? No, it was not. It was written by Carol King, I think. Son of a bitch. When she was living Neil Neil Diamond did Daydream Believer. That's right. That was the next single. No, he didn't do that one either, actually. He did... Well, which one did he do? He did I'm a Believer. I'm a Believer, not Daydream Believer. No, no, I'm... you're thinking of Andy Kim. You're thinking of Andy Kim. Oh, Andy Kim. Uh, hold on, the Purpose song, Someday Man. Don't tell me it wasn't a fucking single. Hold on. Uh-huh. Shush, hold on. Uh-huh. It was like a single because they gave it a video on the TV show. It was like a it single. It was like a single. Oh, just a bunch of crap. Good, clean, fun. I don't even know this song. It's not here. F- fuck. Uh-huh. All righty then. So cuddly. But anyway, in the mind. song, in the song, just to finish this, in the song, the lyric is, you're not the only choo-choo train left out in the rain the day after Santa came. I thought it was, you're not the only choo-choo train who was left out in the rain the day of the seventh game, which is like, wow, that's so profound. If you know anything about sports, it's like, wow, this is incredible. And that's not what he says at all. But back to Raw. Raw rolls We on. had to sit through all of that. You didn't have to. To, to get to another one of your baseball. You got baseball on the brain. It doesn't have to be baseball. It could be any seventh game. It just it just happens that there's a seventh game of the World Series. And there's a you, seventh game in the NBA. Well, all right. Thank you. Basketball, baseball, whatever. Let's get back to the wrestling. Nine o'clock. The hour came. It was time for Cody Rhodes. Because you can tell they've obviously got a lot of faith in him. They're giving him the prime spots on the on the programs coming up at the top of the hour, et cetera, et cetera. He's doing a wonderful job with him. Did you see the sign in the crowd on his way to the ring? Roman's worst nightmare, N-I-G-T-M-A-R-E. <laughs> and the crowd was chanting, Cody, Cody, and they're in Canada. So if if this crowd was going to, you know, uh, uh, fire back at him for Sammy not winning, they would have taken some of it out on Cody. So he gets in the ring as soon as he says his first word. So there's Paul Heyman on the screen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children. Oh, that's the other guy. <laughs> Paul had both belts and a neck brace on and not even the fucking 
Andy Kaufman kind of, you know, soft neck brace. He had the cervical collar on, which I don't know how they found a cervical neck collar that was that was like a tube straight up and down because Paul doesn't really have an indention for a neck there. It just goes from ears to fucking shoulders. So he kind of looked like the, the, the juggernaut. I feel like you get revenge for every comment he made on TBS in like 1988 and 89. Every time you talk about it. I'm, I'm, I, have, I do nothing but put Paul Heyman over and praise him for his verbal ability and that he's the best promo and one of the greatest minds in wrestling today. And it's not my fault that, that the natural thing to also talk about is his completely repulsive physical deterioration. Because he remains three or four years younger than me. And I don't want people to forget that. But anyway, Heyman's on the screen. And Cody said, well, where are you, Paul? Why don't you come out here? And oh, I'm, I'm backstage. And uh, uh, I was mauled Saturday night and subjected to the miserable Canadian healthcare system. But I face as close as I'm willing to be to face, you can't beat Roman Reigns. And then, Paul, it, it's a mind game, as you will see, that they're playing. It's masterful with Cody, where Paul tells Cody the story. What's going to happen if the impossible happens? And he did it much better than I'm going to do it here. I'm just summarizing. But if the impossible happens, what will your life be like? Roman Reigns has me, the wise man, but you're going to be an indentured servant. Life on the road, 200 days a year. Defending the titles, 50 days of charities and red carpets. I don't know if I... I believe everything else. I believe 200 days a year on the road, 30 days overseas, 20 days promoting big events. I'm not sure about 50 days of charity and red carpet, but nevertheless. And when he gets home... He's gonna, if, if you got 60 days left over, you're going to be on Spike calls <laughs> or Skype or whatever they call it, he said, and Zooms and meetings. Do you want that life for your wife and child? But don't worry, Cody, on those cold winter nights when you're away, Roman Reigns will be there to keep your wife warm. Because it's going to be open mic night, bitch. No, um. I, you know, I've just realized, there you go. There's the baby face. The war games, five on five. Roman, Solo, Usos, and Heyman versus Cody, Sammy, Kevin, and Brandy. Just put Brandy in there. Maybe she could bring back Awesome Kong and uh, Mel. She could bring back the Nightmare Collective. I forgot, oh, I forget they shaved that girl's head for and never Mel. her again. <laughs> Mel, here's our girl Mel. I wonder how her hair's doing now. It's been a few years. But he didn't say that. He didn't say... He said that he was specifically not saying that Roman Reigns will be there keeping his wife warm. He'll be there. True, true, true. He said, said, you know, what was it? How did he phrase it? No, that's not... Roman Reigns is a very happily married man. But I'm not. I thought he had kids. Did he? What, Doesn't mean you have a he, wife. Well, but is he is he mad at his wife or what? Did, did he? Well, I don't know if he's what, married did, did any he, longer. Did he, go, did he go to one of those Michael Jackson clinics to have his children? He's he's talked about it. I'm not talking about the man's 
you stop personal it. life and family on the air now he's he's done interviews saying when i had children then things changed for me and blah 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 so he's acknowledged he's had children he's never been married did he have a, a test tube situation going on what the fuck we need to find out more about that i believe he's married and divorced asked and answered all right well there you go <laughs> See, that, that was easy, but we never, Whatever we never heard about the wife. Whatever conspiracy theory you came up with. We never hear about the wife. So I was wondering if it was, if it, was it Debbie Rowe, perhaps? Debbie Rowe? Remember Debbie Rowe? She was one of Michael Jackson's surrogate mothers. She made some oh. money. Paul dresses well. He's made some money. Maybe he's... I thought that was the woman who worked the door at the ECW arena, Debbie Rowe. But anyway. Back no, to her. no. That was Row Your Boat. Um, so anyway paul says that cody your wrestlemania dreams will become your own personal nightmare and then cody just dismisses paul and turns the camera and says, you know you're great roman you're great don't send this man to me again are you a warrior or are you an errand boy kabuki no, I was dusty. You're the greatest champion of all time, Roman, but I have to finish the story and I'm going to beat you at WrestleMania. So he just disregarded Paul's mind game attempt and he's spaking, spaking, he's spaking, he's spitty. You don't want me to spit in your face, Lance Russell? Tojo said that one time. <laughs> um, He's speaking directly to Roman when he says <laughs> this whole thing is just falling apart. <laughs> I agree, though. He's spaking. <laughs> He's spaking. <laughs> he certainly did. Right to him. Oh, I love that we are now one step closer to Heyman being out there cutting a promo, and all of a sudden we hear, who told you it was open yeah, mic yeah. night, bitch? <laughs> and here comes Brandy. It'll be the greatest thing ever. Um, This is great. You know what? Cody's great. You know, I've said it before, it's the difference between the stuff he's doing here and the stuff in AEW. At times in AEW, it felt so disingenuous just because of the word selection at times. It's working a lot better here. Yeah. And when he looked into the microphone and you look in his eyes, that's all you need to do. Just let him do that. There's, uh, Cody is coming up with this material, obviously, but there's people here, qualified people that are allowed to produce things. And in AEW, Cody was doing his own shit with nobody to say, well, you know, change the, the, the to a, and, you know, just tweak it a little bit. And he didn't have people surrounding him that were going to give performances up to the level of Heyman's or Sammy's that, and he didn't have the television production crew that was going to be able to shoot this whole thing and put it together in this fashion. And we've said that it's Cody is perfectly at home in a sports entertainment, big setting with other people that can hold up their end of the thing. And he was, you know, floating around uh, and almost an anomaly in AEW. But there you have again, Cody and Paul. So we got a good interview at the start and a good interview at nine o'clock and pretty much cockeye in between. Go ahead. What is there until WrestleMania? Six weeks? Somewhere around there. What do you do? I mean, do you have him and Roman get physical before Mania or do you keep it where even if they face off, there's nothing physical. It's just a, a battle of words so that people can't wait to see that 
to see. I can't talk. So if people can't wait to see the fucking match, <laughs> what do you think they should do? You know, in over six weeks, couldn't they do one of each? Because, you know, a lot of times something is is diminished by having physical angles, and that's something Shitstain used to do. If if you had six weeks for a pay-per-view, he'd have the guys in the goddamn feature matches fighting and beating each other up back and forth so much to the point that finally you didn't want to see the match because you'd already seen all this shit, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, but if it's the right idea and if it's executed correctly, I don't see any reason in the world that shortly before, you know, go home period last week or 10 days that Roman couldn't, I'm not talking about coming out there and just slaughtering Cody and just leaving him laying and bashing him with chairs, all this stuff they've been doing, but some physical thing and, and not leave him laying there flat on his face, but to hurt him physically about the same amount as his pride is hurt at the same time to just give him that extra oom and get a little shot in on him. And also I think they could certainly have some type of verbal exchange with, again, with Paul involved and Cody and that's going to be, I would think if they have the, the material and I don't see why they wouldn't. That could be great too. But you don't want to see him face to face every week. You don't want to see him physical every week or even more than once, I don't think. And, you know, you, just space it out. One week, something happens. Next week or two, uh, summarize it with packages and flesh it out with the individuals, but they're not together. And then billboard what's going to happen next week or whatever when it was last week that this happened but next week so and so is going to be back to blah whatever the case that's not a long period of time to do something like this and in the meantime you've got shit going on in the periphery that we already talked about with the usos and kevin and sammy and bob and carol and ted and alice you think this Speaking could, of them, you know, what, you know this could be a long-term thing, and if Roman's really going to take any time off if that ever happens, or if this is the extent of the time off schedule that we're going to get, and Heyman has more time, Cody's a perfect Heyman project. Not that Cody needs someone to coach him, although at times he does, maybe with promos, but long-term, a Cody versus Heyman feud, post-bloodline, that could be good down the road, because it's just about promos, it's about emotion. You can get it out of those guys. And that kind of could kind of be like the Heenan and Hogan arrangement where Heenan was always finding somebody to try to take Hogan down. It's like everything that Paul grew up with. You had three heel managers who never took bumps, and they always had a cast of characters coming in, and the credibility was on the manager until those people made it. And usually the manager's credibility was enough. I believe Paul is one of the people that believes that a lot of those Bob Backlund sellouts should be attributed to Lou Albano versus Bob Backlund as opposed to yeah. Bob Backlund versus Samoan number three or whatever it may be. So um, I don't know. They actually did that, by the way, folks. A Samoan number three one time. Brian's not kidding. Samu. That was when Samu first started. And they didn't want to call him Samu for whatever reason. So Samoan number three was better. Uh, Here's than... Alpha, Sika, and Samoan number three. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, speaking of the number three, we're up to the third match. 
Oscar versus Nikki. And we were an hour and 18 minutes into the program when the bell rang for match number three. But before they touched, Bianca's music played, and she twirled and skipped to ringside to watch. And so we were about an hour and 20 minutes in the program when the match actually started, and they went two minutes to the break. (laughs) And when they came back, they actually went four more minutes. Four. And Oscar won. And then Oscar and Bianca stared at each other. And then Oscar vomited blue food coloring. (laughs) And I don't... I'm not kidding. They were staring at each other and pointing at the WrestleMania side. And then I've, I've seen people do this out and, you know, when they've been over imbibed that she put her hand up to her mouth, like she, Oh, I'm going to catch this. And suddenly and all the blue food coloring came out and she giggled. Something like you are now. I was watching with Only my, it sounded a little more masculine. I was watching with my daughter and she was trying to get me to explain to her what was happening. And I said, I can't explain it. She's very excited. That's why the blue stuff came out yes, of her yes. mouth. Yes. <laughs> Honey, just remember when you when you go through puberty, when you get excited, blue stuff will come out of your well, mouth. No, but you see, miss, you can at least kind of a Explain. You could be like, well, there's some kind of magical thing and they shoot different color of mist out of their mouths. And it just <laughs> rips all over the place. And, there's and, no explanation. And the people on OnlyFans have to tip extra for that. Oh, too. stop. <laughs> they call it squirting. And Oh, you're on a roll today. Uh, so <laughs> So that's what happened there. Good match. Yeah. You know what though? Can I say I liked it? Good match. Fans were silent. That has to be pointed out. Because it was a match. At this point, it's not even who's in it. It's just that they're trying. Can they get this match out of the way so we can see another entrance and a promo? Uh, They did a package on Brock and Lashley uh, that was almost as long as the match itself at the pay-per-view. And then MVP was in the back with Almost, and they challenged Brock Lesnar for WrestleMania. Show up next week, Brock, if you accept. I can't wait. This is the true main event of WrestleMania. This guy guy taking the F5 from Brock Lesnar (laughs) is the main event of WrestleMania. Is... I know Brock can pick him up, and I bet he can F5 him, but the guy's arms and legs are so long, Brock might put his eyes out or something. But Brock versus Almost at WrestleMania. I'm intrigued to see it. However, of all the options to do with Brock for WrestleMania, it is puzzling that this is the one they went with. Maybe it's, it's nice, maybe but... maybe it's a false booking. They false booked it, and something's going to happen between now and then that will get... Because, oh, you know what? I've realized what they've done now. Because we said after the pay-per-view, well, boy, we don't ever want to see Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley again. But now that we think we might see Brock Lesnar against almost, we're rooting for it to be changed to Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. It's going to end up being Bobby Lashley and the Hurt Business and Brock Lesnar against Uncle Howdy and Bray Wyatt. 
Well, I th- they need a couple more people on the side of Brock and Bobby in the Hurt Business if they're going to fight both Bray and if they're Captain Howard. Yeah, that's right. So the next match was Miz versus Rollins. Seth Franklin Rollins against The Miz. The bell rang at one hour and 41 minutes into the program for the start of match number four. In an hour and 41 minutes, we've had 12 minutes of wrestling on our screen. And they went two minutes to the break. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm not complaining because, again, The Miz. The, fu- the, the fucking Miz. The Miz. But we come back from the break, and holy shit, they went five minutes. I couldn't believe it. I thought they were going to go Broadway. And then Seth hit a curb stomp, and then another curb curb stomp, and the referee saying, well, don't do that again, so he runs around him and hits another curb stomp, and the referee stops it and says, he can't continue. Seth, you're the winner. And there's Miz flat on his face again. Is at least maybe Miz is the new Dolph Ziggler. Instead of a guy with talent being jobbed out, it's just a guy that we were praying to be jobbed out is finally being jobbed out. Well, then they broke with the tradition that they have been doing at the 10 o'clock hour, or maybe they just given up, but at the 10 o'clock hour, instead of star power, intrigue, excitement, we get Bailey's talk show Ding dong hello with Bailey and Kai and Sky. And they've got a fake door with ding dong hello on it and a potted plant and chairs. And they come through the fake door. And I said, ding dong, no way. And I hit the fast forward button. And then here comes Becky Lynch. And I'm like, ah. and then here comes Lita. And both of them entered the ring. And I was, I was about to say, well, I'll wait and see what happens here. Cause it's Becky Lynch and Lita. And Bailey told him, well, you better come through the door. And they did. They came through the fake door. And that's when I hit the fast forward for the last time. This took almost 10 minutes for some reason. There's going to be a tag team title match now next week between Kai and Sky, and one of them still on crutches, which I guess is a gimmick, and the new team of Becky Lynch and Lita. Is this what I'm led to believe? Oh, I don't know. I didn't watch any of this crap. Remember when Britt Baker, for one week, had her own interview show, and there was a door, and Cody was out there, and Jay came to confront them, and then Red Velvet- And they walked around the door. Red No, Red Velvet came through the door, I believe. To well, make yeah, the save because Brandy wasn't the door, there. But she came through the door to make the, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So out of this, hey, they went the to show's the show's done yes. once the main eventers are gone. I mean, it's like I say about AEW. If you know you're not going to see Cody and Heyman again, you know you're not going to see Sammy or Owens again. There isn't, I mean, for me, I've seen so much of Edge recently. At least it feels like that. I wasn't looking forward to the main event. Well, I was till I saw it, but we'll get there. Um, They came out of Ding Dong Hello to the back with Ding Dong Candy LaRue updating us on Johnny Same Face and doing some kind of shtick with Nikki Cross where Nikki whispers in her ear that all her friends are gone and she feels so alone. And that so disturbed 
Candy LaRue that she had to break off the interview because she just couldn't speak right at that point. So the, the happy nut that's running around like Roughhouse Fargo outside is now back and sad because her friends are gone and she's all alone. Is she going to be schizophrenic? Is she going to, half of her is going to be a heel and half's going to be a baby face? Is anybody going to give two shits? I just answered my own question. All of her will be fast forwarded. There you go. Speaking of which, the next match was Shush Gable against Bronson Reed. And we've had 19 minutes of wrestling in four matches, and the bell rang at 10.15 p.m., two hours and 15 minutes into this fucking program. And again, I'm not upset about this match because it was Bronson Reed. He fucking beat him up and splashed him and beat him in three minutes. They're getting the guy over like a monster, and that's what they need to do. So there was nothing wrong with this match on this program it was everything else on the program that we'd got this far and we've seen almost no action. So, uh, but I, I like they're putting Bronson Reed over and I can't think of a better person to beat than Shoosh Boy because fuck. Uh, did you sleep through that one? Yeah, I didn't. I'm yeah. not watching Chad Gable anymore. That's yeah. kind of done. Okay, so Ezekiel was in the ring. Someone posted on uh, YouTube, I did see this one comment. If he teamed up with Roosh, they could be Roosh and Shoosh. <laughs> That's my only takeaway here. Oh, what a douche. Anyway, <laughs> Ezekiel was in the ring doing a promo. I know that's hard to believe, folks, but he was doing a promo. And he's telling Booger in the back to take notes. Remember, there's heat between... Ezekiel and Booger. And Ezekiel now is a full-fledged heel. He said, there's no bigger star than me. Who wants to walk with me at WrestleMania? And the music plays. Here comes Bobby Lashley. And he hits the ring and beats the shit out of Ezekiel for about 20 seconds and runs him into the post and throws him in the ring and hits him with a spear and puts the hurt lock on him for three seconds and then throws him down. <laughs> so he's a piece of shit, too. And then Lashley does the promo that nobody can break the hurt lock and don't you dare disrespect. I'm going to be taking out people that disrespect me. There was no reaction to this promo because Bobby, in the t he's the nicest guy in the world and the tone in his voice tells you that. And he, we've talked about speaking is not his strong point. And the, I think they've diminished him badly with how they presented him and they flip-flopped him. He was a heel in the group and he's a baby face and then he's turning back heel, but he's still not back in the group, but he might go back. And the promo, it just, ah, what do you think? I agree with you. He should be with MVP period. Well, but now have they done unnecessary damage by the time they get that done? Anyway, here's a way you can repair everything. Have Bray Wyatt and all of his demons attack the entire WWE, causing everyone to have to form new factions and new friendships and renew friendships. You start anew, and then you kill off Bray Wyatt, and we go back to the way things are. I thought you were going to say have Bray Wyatt and Captain Howdy attack the entire roster and get rid of all of them and start fresh. 
If that means we still have Bray Wyatt and Captain Howdy, we can't do that. Uh, that sucks too, man. There's some kind of a refund clause on his contract. Maybe. All right. We are now two and a half hours into the program. We get Edge in the back talking about Austin Theory, the match for the U.S. title that is our main event. And at least in this case, Edge sounds like he's speaking instead of reciting. He did a good job. It, it, the material, obviously, a lot of it was probably his input too, but it was, it was plausible. I know I'm nearer the end of my career than the beginning, but I've still got some unfinished business, and I haven't been here in this town in 18 years, and I'm so happy to be back. And, you know, I've, basically building up a little doubt in people's mind that whether he's going to win this belt or not in this next match, but at least he can speak. He can cut a promo if he has to and not sound like a a robot playing a fucking tape. So he had some feeling in this. That was a decent job. But we get to the United States title match, Austin Theory versus Edge. The bell rings. At 10.40, two hours and 40 minutes into this program, we've had 22 minutes of wrestling action. And I was looking forward to this match because at least both guys can work, right? And Edge starts out, he's in control, and both you can tell both of them, they look good, and they can move, and you see they have professionalism to them, and to the break in 90 seconds. And when we come back, there's... Theory's chasing Edge. Edge is suckering him around, trying to, you know, uh, sucker him into something, which he does. He gives him a big backdrop on the floor. Theory likes to take the bumps. But then Theory took over and started getting some heat. And then he went to a chin lock for about two or three minutes of this five-minute segment. And then they went to the break again. And they come back from the break, and... Theory's still getting heat on edge, and he Theory has great aggression, and they kicked it up in the last segment, but still, it never really got to where you were like, wow, this is, you know, it was, it was good, there was nothing wrong with it, but it didn't get to wow. And basically, uh, finally, Edge made a comeback. Theory stopped him. They went back and forth a little bit. Edge got the cross face. Theory got a rope break. Edge hit his implant DDT and got a two count. And then he's setting up for the spear. And suddenly Balor jumps up on the apron. So Edge nails him off and rolls up Theory for a quick two count. And as Theory kicks him off, Edge goes into the ropes and Balor kicks him in the head. And he staggers back into Theory's finish. One, two, three. Do they have that that finish engraved on their locker room wall? Because don't we see, I mean, it might not be a kick, it might be a punch, or it might be a whatever, but different people doing the same thing all the time. Boom! There he hit his finish, one, two, three. Obviously, I didn't want the belt to change hands, nor did we think it was going to. It was, it was a WWE finish, but then Balor comes in, after Edge has earlier said, well, it appears it's all over. Now with the Judgment Day, I can move on. Balor comes in, beats Edge up, and gives him the double stomp off the top three times. So apparently this is not over. 
even though Raw was over, this issue is not over. It's over with me. <laughs> I wish it was okay with these guys to move on because I've moved on. <laughs> Will this ever be settled? <laughs> Jesus Christ, is Chris Jericho booking this feud? What, was I too hard on this match or was it just a malaise from the previous over two and a half hours? I don't know. I'm not digging Edge's comeback as much as you or other people, I think, do. It was the end of the show. The crowd was kind of flat. I don't know. And they went right back to the Judgment Day. How's that not going to put a bad taste in your mouth? It's been nonstop Judgment Day and Edge. Edge and Beth got the win. Okay, that's it. The baby faces got the win. No, now we got to get more of it. They got the win, right? Did they win they the match? They got the win. Oh, yes, so yeah, it's won. over. It's over. <laughs> so it's over. But you know, like like the criticism I have for AEW. If you're tuning in to see Cody, you know he's gone after his one segment. If you're tuning in to see whether it was Sammy or Roman or whatever was going to be there from the pay-per-view, two segments because they got the Corbin match and then gone for the rest of the night. There was no, oh, Jay Uso may pop up later. Or we just heard someone has landed and they'll be here later in this long, long, long show. Nothing. So if you're tuning in to see the literal draws of Monday Night Raw, of WWE, of SmackDown, they're there. And once they're done, you know that they're done. So that's the problem. What? Forget about like, you know, the overall viewing audience. I don't know how the numbers nosedive at the end of the show. Traditionally, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. But for me, the enthusiasm in the show is gone after the enthusiastic things happening are gone. Enthusiastically. I agree with you. Um, and it's it's just it's a schlog to get through that thing. And I still can't understand why they can't, you know, bring out another 20 or 30 of the 100 people they have under contract and and, and get this shit to move a little quicker. Except for the match. The matches are the only thing that move quickly. Well, Jim, and, perhaps and, some hey, of these wrestlers... You know, the big event in Montreal was Saturday. Raw was Sunday. Uh, Raw was Monday. Perhaps on Sunday, the day I just accidentally mentioned, they got the Sunday scaries and it affected everything on Raw. It, it did because they were in the middle of Saturday and Monday. And that's usually where Sunday falls. That could mess right? you up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what you need to do about that. <laughs> What's that? You need to get some goddamn Sunday scary CBD gummies. That's what you need to do. What a great idea. Because there's no reason to let Sunday scaries go untreated. Because if you leave your Sunday scaries untreated, well, that can, that can lead to monkey pox and the fucking swine flu and all other different kind of illnesses and ailments. That, and, and that's what you need to be worried about. I don't know if you have, well, I don't know if you have to worry about that in relation to what we were you went in a direction I did not expect you to go in. We were having a good time and you're just talking well, about deadly communicable viruses that I are, usually do go in different directions than you expect me to because these things need to be said. Folks, if you want to protect <laughs> yourself from worrying about whether you're going to get the monkeypox or the swine flu or the equine virus or whatever it may be, 
You're going to, you're not going to, and none of that's going to happen to you, but you might worry about it unless you take the Sunday scary CBD gummies. They were made to defeat the crap that life throws at you. Are you feeling dreadful? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling anxious, anxiety, riddling your body, making you shake like a dog shitting peach seeds? That's, I'm telling you. Say riddling in your body? What? Riddling, riddling, oh. not riddling, riddling your body. Oh, you said riddling in your body, you're, then you're shitting like you're, a dog, and I'm like, oh. Your body is, 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 is riddled ah. with this, this, these horrible feelings. And that's what that Sunday scaries are meant to combat. The oh shit, stressful, nervous, can't sleep, dread feelings. The feelings of impending doom that hang over you like the sword of Damocles in your mind, in your brain, can be handled, can be eradicated, can be dealt with forthwith by the Sunday scary CBD gummies. If you're a horrible sleeper, if you stare at the ceiling, paint the goddamn ceiling. And then take some CBD gummies. If you don't relax well, you can't shut your brain off, hit yourself in the head with a hammer. Don't and do that. Take some, well, that'll shut your brain off. And then finish well, I can't uh, that. Finish yourself off with these Sunday Scary CBD gummies. Don't look Calm at Sunday your, Scaries as finishing yourself off. That's a bad way to look at it. Well, I'm talking about finish the job. That's exactly what I'm saying. Don't say these things. We have to. I'm talking about bring your story to an end. All this, all the, all the problems saying? and stresses that you have, you can bring that all to an end with the Sunday scaries. They'll make you feel well. Just swell. Think about just my swell. think about my problems. My Sunday scaries happen while doing the spots for Sunday scaries. Because of yes. what you're saying. Yes, so take two. <laughs> I do like the unicorn jerky. The unicorn jerky is quite delicious. They've got the unicorn jerky. And folks, that is not, that's not a suggestion that you should masturbate a mythical animal. That is an actual product from sundayscaries.com that also manufactures the fantastic CBD gummies that you take every day to keep the scaries away. Take the edge off, calm your racing mind, sleep better, just chill out with your unicorn. And give him a jerky? <laughs> and give him a jerky. Not a handy, a jerky. A jerky. <laughs> anyway, you can visit oh, sundayscaries.com. What, what has happened to this show? I'm telling you about the product. It's it's sundayscaries.com. It's a fine product. That's S-C-A-R-I-E-S, sundayscaries.com. Use the promo code J-C-E. You're going to get 25% off bliss, 25% off a great mood, 25% off relaxation. What's it worth to you, folks? What's it worth to you to calm that racing mind? To decompress, to fall asleep so you can wake up a fully functioning human being. What's it worth to you? It ought to be any price, and I'm getting you 25% off. What the hell are you waiting for? Sundayscaries.com, promo code JCE. A bliss, a blissful state of mind is worth any price. You can, you could, you can never, never put a price on that. And we're giving you 25% off promo code JCE, sundayscaries.com. Boy, howdy. You'll bring your story to a, a climactic end and go to sleep. 
<laughs> We're giving you 25% off something that can never have a value is basically what you just said. That's right. <laughs> That's you can't put a price on it. So we're going to give you 25% off that. Exactly right. <laughs> Whatever the price we put on it that we can't put on it, 25% less than that. Sunday Scaries. That's right. Sunday Scaries indeed, but no more laughter and fun. Let's uh, talk about wrestling. Yeah, let, let's get back to the show. No more laughter or fun. Uh, but wait, there's breaking news, by the way, Brian. Did you hear about this? This story has just come out here just shortly ago. AEW has applied to trademark the name AEW Collision with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. At least that's what they attempted to do, but instead they have tried to trademark AEW Collison, C-O-L-L-I-S-O-N. They misspelled the word collision oh my god is that in the story that is a real story apparently so they may have to amend that uh and we know now that tony was never a contestant in the national spelling bee well i mean i don't know if he's filing his own copyright things you have to think that goes through legal a lawyer must have approved that and thought well who who's the who's the head legal around there or the head paralegal isn't it isn't it megan well mega is the head uh, of legal not the head paralegal the head of legal and you would think she would see that because you'd think, you'd think well she's all by herself if they had a paralegals maybe one of the other ones could have taken up the slack here well, no, there are other people there. There are other people there. It should have gone through multiple hands unless he just has someone he calls and yells demands to, and they go and try and trademark stuff, and they thought, Tony's like Prince. He's come up with a spelling of his own. Either that or maybe they even have a trio of legals instead of just a pair of legals. All, All right. right. Well, this is going nowhere quick. But, Jim, let's... Um, at, le- at least we don't waste time. We do it quick when we go nowhere. Jim... Let's talk a little bit more about Tony Khan since you brought him up here. A lot of the listeners have been sending in different questions and different clips. Since we talked on the experience about the Twitter spat between Tony Khan and Ariel Hawani, Ariel Hawani has gone on his show, I believe it's the MMA Hour, to discuss this. I have some audio to play for you. Well, now, to bring people up to date, uh, Tony was highly offended that uh, Ariel Hawani appeared in the crowd to do a stand-up in Montreal where, hey, we're here with all of our hometown people. We love Sami Zayn. And Tony was offended by that. He took it personally, and he said that Ariel Hawani was about as much of a real reporter as Tony Schiavone is. And let's remind everybody, Tony Schiavone works for Tony Khan. Uh, and, And so... Uh, Ariel answered back on Twitter, basically saying, hey, calm down, snowman. And, uh, you know, he was obviously not uh, frightened by Tony's outburst. And so now he has responded verbally on his program. This is Now we're up to date, right? Somewhat. I think it's important to note there is a little bit of a history there. Tony was on his show. Tony did not want to answer questions about All Out after... Ariel couldn't get those questions answered. He wanted to know why, couldn't get those questions answered. So there's a history there. 
And the other thing I want to say before we play this is some people are saying that Tony thought it was a joke at first. What? That he was joking. But do you see any logic in that? That what that Tony thought who was joking? Tony thought he himself, Tony, when he was tweeting Ariel, was joking. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. That's not a, it's not a joke because it wasn't funny. It was Barry Shivani. It was yeah. It was a it was a childish clap back, as the kids say, at Ariel Hawani that sideswiped Tony Shivani on the way around the corner. All right. Well, I have some audio here. This is from. I believe it's from the MMA Hour. The MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani. We have various clips we're going to play. We'll get your comments in between. Let's go to this first one about Ariel seeing the tweet. And I see this fucking tweet from Tony (laughs) Khan. And I swear to God, I looked at it like three times and thought it was fake. (laughs) I thought it was fake. Because, you know, anyone can have a a, a blue check, right? Anyone can be verified. There is no way. This guy doesn't follow me. He's never tweeted me. There is no way that he actually tweeted this. Number one. Proving that he was watching, A, which is bizarre. Why would you do that? Why would you put competition over and show that you're Good watching point. some random SmackDown and a random moment in the uh, in the telecast? Number two, putting down his own guy in the process, your guy, GC, the great Tony Schiavone, Atlanta sports legend, calling me a oh, fraud. Oh, let's not go crazy. And then saying that I am as much of a journalist as Tony Schiavone. Now, I'm trying to think, like, what what is the point that he is trying to prove here? He is trying to say that Shivani isn't a journalist, which, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, GC, as an Atlanta guy, doesn't he kind of have a little bit of respect as, like, a media dude? Like I I never knew Tony Shivani as the wrestling <laughs> guy. That was later told to me. He used to come on the radio in Atlanta, and I was just like, Tony Shivani. And then when I was, like, 16 or 17, that's when I found out it's like, oh, yeah, he's massive in the world of pro wrestling. But he has respect, Atlanta. right? People love him, admire him, right? He's not known as like yeah. a. No! No, no, wait, stop it there. Stop let, me, let me stop. Nothing against Shivani, but he was just a. Like, it's not like he's some beloved local sportscaster. He's not well, I've, Dick I've, Enberg. He's, Come on. He's not Vin Scully. Uh, but at the same time, their poor Ariel should just move on with his point <laughs> instead of trying to badger and hector and belittle this other fucking guy into. Oh, yeah, Tony. Goddamn, they carry him down the street at parades every year. He's a fucking beloved, like Mother Teresa. He he turns some loaves into fish or something. Or How about that? The guy Tony Schiavone works for says he's nothing. And the guy that got insulted with him is like building up bigger than he's ever been built up by anyone ever. He's beloved in Georgia, isn't he? Let's go back to this. He's done Definitely some baseball. I mean, he was always mixed into like Atlanta news radio. News radio. So this guy's calling me a fraud. And then he's saying, Tony Schiavone is as much of a journalist as me. I guess trying to so imply I've, that like, he's not a real journalist and I'm not a real journalist. I've had Why time to think about this. insult your own guy in the process? Please go ahead. I've had time to think about this. What he's saying is Tony appears on our television show. And he is presented as this interviewer. You are now equivalent. You are you are appearing on their television show and you are doing this. But the implication is that neither of you is is journalistically sound. Now he again, he's he's why why take a shot at your own guy? I don't get it. I, it just doesn't make sense. You could have said that, that is, in a million different ways. That's right? the comparison. It's like on our show, you're as you're you're equivalent to this level of of interviewing that's happening on our show as well. Is my read on it. 
All right, let me stop it here for a second, because the next thing he's going to talk about, uh, according to Jace's notes, Ariel saying Tony's still upset about Ariel's criticism of their interview, and Ariel lays it all out. But uh, what do you think of this so well, far? So far, he's laying a bunch of people out. I mean, these are grown adults trying to figure out why that not only this guy was so, Tony Khan was so, too many pronouns, pal, was so upset about this meaningless incident that took place, but also why he chose to confusingly word his insult to malign members of his own company at the same time. Well, you're just as bad as one of the dipshits I'd hire. So that's what I've, that's what every grown adult has heard out of that so far, except for Tony Khan. Maybe my qualifier there was an indication of why he didn't. Well, let's go back to Ariel Hawani. After sure. thinking about it. I mean, the, the real thing he should have done was not say anything because, number one, why are you putting over, you know, the, the, the competition's broadcast? Your show is coming up. Nice little cheeky hashtag there um, on the tweet <laughs> as well. But, like, this shit, I mean, you talk about an own goal. Um, and, and, and I know Fulham's having a bit of a better season. They certainly haven't had a great run with the cons involved. But, I mean, this was you know, one of the all-time great own goals. And I just couldn't believe it. I really had to check multiple times. Was this really him? Now, to take a step back, <laughs> to take a step back, he is still upset, clearly, over the fact that he gave me one of the all-time worst interviews and ignoring the fact that I have continuously praised the product ever since they launched around three years ago. It was just a bad interview, objectively a bad interview. Now, what's amazing about that interview is you know, everyone loves to talk about, oh, he couldn't talk about this. He couldn't talk about that. Legal this, legal that. First of all, like, where's the fucking legal, right? Bingo. Where, yeah, we, the we've been waiting for a while yeah. on yeah. that. Where's the proof? What legal? What legal are you guys talking about? You're Let's stop it there for a second. That is an excellent point. Yeah. When everything went all out, we were told nothing could be said because of legal. What legal? What's going on? Apparently, legal said, don't say anything because we're in deep shit. You're going to compare this to this and that. Like, where's the lead? What, what is this investigation that you guys keep talking about? But I just want to let you all know very clearly that I had asked Tony multiple times to come on the show. I stopped asking because I was told that, you know, he wasn't sure. I'm Nick Khan's guy. I work for BT, which is ridiculous. That's just a broadcast partner. That would be like saying to someone like Mark Ramundi that he shouldn't interview Bellator guys because he works for ESPN and UFC is on ESPN. Stupid. Anyway, I just stopped asking. They reached out to me. <laughs> several months later and said you want to have Tony on I was like really cool never said don't ask about this don't ask about that you don't think I was going to ask about these things anyone worth their salt is going to ask about these things there was a million different ways that you could have answered those questions but just to let you all know at the time I had no relationship with anyone like in terms of business anything like that this was back in early October well let me stop it here because he's getting somewhat defensive the idea that some people have that because Nick Khan was his agent because He's appearing on a SmackDown because he's working for a broadcast partner of WWE that somehow he was out to get Tony Khan. I mean, we played some of that audio. We played some of that original interview. Is that the way you took it? No. There, it was questions that Tony Khan was being asked that everybody wanted to know the answer to or anybody that was interested in a anything Tony Khan had to say, that would be uppermost in their mind, and that's what he's supposed to do. And if they didn't tell him beforehand, hey, we ain't going to talk about this, or we ain't going to talk about that, and they they asked to book him on the show, 
then why was he not supposed to ask those things? It was the biggest news, unfortunately for AEW, that they had made. And and then we remember we played laughing, we played the clips on the program back then of, my God, how many more words can Tony Khan utter without saying jack all of shit? And just not... So... I I I feel for Ariel there. I sympathize. Well, let's go back to Ariel Hawani. This is uh the big takeaway here is the quote Tony Khan has no idea what journalism is. Let's go to this. The amazing thing was is how the whole thing spread backstage. Everyone was you see the tweet, you see the tweet, you see the tweet. And like I'm just a new I've just been here for four hours. Like I don't even know yeah. a lot of these people. This is amazing. How could he have done was that really him? What a you know, blah 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 blah. I was like, yeah, I guess it was really him. He doesn't Let me stop you right there. The WWE locker room, whether that's wrestlers or executives or whoever it may be, that's their reaction to Tony Khan on Twitter. I again you know they they know and and the a lot of the wrestlers in AEW know some of them haven't been out of the indies long enough to know what professionalism is but the guys in the WWE locker room they for all you might say and all they might say about Vince McMahon they can't see him doing shit like that in public and that's what you hear about Tony constantly it, you can't you can't take him seriously as a grown adult boss businessman when he's hugging and bouncing and lashing out and slap fighting on Twitter with, you know, various people. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's hard to think that Nick Khan's insulting him by calling him a kid when he acts like a child. Basically, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's more of a description rather than an insult. Let's go back to this follow me but i guess it was really him and i still feel kind of bad for tony shivani that he was insulted in the process wait let me bizarre so then let go me, out let me ask i do the second here. one yes go ahead Would, wouldn't you say like the questions you were asking him in that in that ill-fated interview wouldn't that be the what journalism is wouldn't that be like the the actual proof in the pudding of like what journalism is supposed he, to be this fucking guy and then the other journalism is. <laughs> he, has no idea. he wants pr he wants he he, he wants he, he's no different than dana you know i wanted what i thought about tweeting back to him was you know dana's not going to shag you mate because i know he's just trying to you know that should have been the one curry favor with his uh with his idol dana white you know yeah, I I, I, think I was, this was thinking a that one, but I thought it might have been a little... too much of a deep cut for the wrestling audience. You know what I mean? But <laughs> no, like he's just trying it. to do that thing, <laughs> and uh, you know, it hasn't worked, Dana, and it ain't going to work way, for that's Tony Khan. I can assure he you, he should that. want that. What the, was it? To, to the point, like he's a promoter. Like that's what he should like. He shouldn't be seeking journalistic integrity. Like that's not what this program is. Anyway, um, my other thing is. Isn't it kind of wild that, like, to your point, like, you've been there four hours, all the people in the locker room are talking about it. Tony Khan is taking this shot at you. Like, it's almost like you're not even, like, part of this world. You're not, like, you're dropped into it. And it's like he's solely focused on you. He could have been watching that show, Insanity. said nothing, said anything about the wrestling. Those guys suck. These guys suck. He, it's you specifically who are not related to this at, at, in any way, um, except for this one night. It's for crazy to tweet that for him to that. Well, everyone there is obsessing over him, obsessing over uh, Ariel Hawani. But here is apparently Ariel talking about potential footage of, quote, weird and bizarre Tony Khan behavior. Let's go to this. Oh, 
old Ariel would have let this bother him. Old Ariel would have been down over this. Old Ariel would have been like reading this the being replies. the Tony thing. Yeah, the Tony thing. This okay. I was not gonna let this fucking guy, this guy who has built an amazing thing, all credit to him. This kid who, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't for his old man, wouldn't be l- let me tell you something. My dad gave me a lot, but as far as like MMA journalism and everything that I've built, that was all on me. That was all on me. All right. Um, I'm very proud of what I built. I wasn't gonna let this guy fucking soil my name drag it through the mud, ruin my night, Montreal, a dream, a bucket list thing. And I know he's trying to get himself over on me because Lord knows he needs it. I wasn't going to let that happen. Wasn't going to let that happen. Absolutely not. And I could tell you a lot of other stuff about that interview that we didn't show um, about how weird and bizarre that whole thing was, but I'm not going to do that. Right. So then I'm in the car and I'm uh, thinking like, do I, I actually thought I wasn't going to reply to be honest, but then I was like, fuck it. Hiwani 10 7 all day every day so i just throw back that thing about you know what for what pushed you over the, what was the moment i don't know i was just you, i was honestly i was in the car going back home it was night i was feeling good and i was like i'm not just gonna let this slide you know what i mean no you're not just gonna yeah. call me a fraud and get away with it uh and, and honestly i felt bad for tony i felt like i needed you know shivani i felt like i needed to uh Shivani, yeah to stick oh give me a break with the defending tony shivani's honor oh come on that's ridiculous somebody's somebody's got to his own employer won't what are your uh what are your thoughts i mean there's more audio but i don't know how much more we can go through he thought it was fake everyone backstage was high-fiving him tony does himself no favors whenever he appears in public either you hear the sound of his voice or you see his actions or he whatever he does he needs someone to I know he doesn't appear on television regularly, but he does the media scrums. He's out there during breaks where you see fan video of him hopping up and down on the stage or hugging people or, you know, booking matches or whatever. And it, it he needs someone to speak for the promotion as a, as a credible respected spokesperson to make matches or do whatever that he does or host the goddamn scrum. But that of course won't happen because that's part of his deal. He enjoys being out there showing off his action figures to the fake journalists that he assembles at his media scrums. Let's remember, he's talking about fake journalism. There's no real journalists there. It's not fucking Time Magazine and the Washington Post. It's the Wrestling Observer and, you know, Dick's Discount Wrestling Site or whatever. And nobody can say that they're legitimate journalist journalists. It's like Ariel Hawani talks about real sports on a real platform in a real way. So I, but anyway, that's what Tony needs to stay off the air. Either that or people need to threaten to quit breathing it. That's, that's my opinion. Well, we'll agree on that. You know, somebody ought to sue over this. Oh, we're going there. Well, I don't know. Somebody ought to sue who? Well, who, who would you sue? I'd sue my sister, Sue. You know what she does? She sews. Sue sews? Suso, see, 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 Suso, see, Suso's. You you don't remember that, for heaven's sake. 
My sister Sue, what does she do? She sews. She sews C. What's your name, Cy? Nevertheless. I don't want to talk about Sue. I want to talk about new. That's right. We want to talk about new Sue. That's our friend Sue New. Oh, what the hell? Just play the music and let's get into it. Call Stephen Well, I'll tell you one thing, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to hear about something that's going to make you so mad you're going to shit your britches, I'll tell you right now and get started ready to shit. Because again, the folks down there in Louisiana at Intergy, their big energy company down there, there was an article about it in NOLA. NOLA.com, that's New Orleans, Louisiana, to you folks who are not familiar with the Cajun country down there. NOLA.com profiled and illustrated that the Intergy leader who is retiring after all of the scandals and the way that they damaged people's lives, he leaves with $43 million worth of stock to make him feel better on these cold winter nights. Well, I'll tell you what, he better uh, he better stock up on the firewood because Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com 888-692-8084 is on the fucking case, baby. And as a matter of fact, there was a major hearing in New Orleans recently regarding certification of the class action where they are suing Intergy. Newlawoffice.com is on behalf of 350,000 residential customers, 17,000 business customers who were without power anywhere from one to three weeks because of their negligence. They give this asshole that was running this shyster operation $43 million, but they couldn't spend a dime to reinforce the towers to withstand the 94-mile-an-hour winds from Hurricane Ida that they had promised to do the last time that they had gotten in the soup, courtesy of a hurricane, is, oh, we're going to take care of all this. Well, they gave all the money to the bigwigs. And now, class action, baby. And that's all the kind of action that Stephen P. New takes is actions with class. We're going to try to find out the results of that hearing as soon as possible. But Intergy is not looking like they're going to have much energy left when Stephen P. New gets finished with them. And... On the opioid front, Brian, you always want to be in the in the loop on all of the latest opioid news. You tell me many times, if you hear anything about any opioids, let me know. Well, here you go. I don't say that. You say that all the time. I said, if you have any, I'll make sure to get rid of them. Well, you you were kind enough to offer that. Maybe we shouldn't be making jokes about this. Well, now, but in any case, on the oh, because we're not babies. We are not little babies. We're grown adults. And we know right from wrong and left from right, and that's why we use our indicators. But the people who don't know right from wrong against are, are being actively pursued by the newlawoffice.com. There's a mass litigation panel actively underway in West Virginia against 75 defendants on the opioid front. And 
New law office is also part of a multi-district litigation against the consulting company McKinsey in San Francisco. You remember McKinsey. McKinsey, they're the company that put out that bullshit sexual report years ago. What? The McKinsey report. You remember that. Talking about the elusive female orgasm and all that type of stuff. Is it elusive to you? Well, it hadn't been elusive to me. I've never had one. But I'll tell you one thing. What's the matter with you? You've never, I'm just you've never stating had a facts. Orgasm. That's right. That's right. But uh, anyway, McKenzie's going down in San Francisco. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some fucking legal protection in your hair because newlawoffice.com is coming out there and they're going to cause chaos. And they're filing cases in New York, Ohio, Tennessee, and Louisiana. Oh, I'm sorry, not Louisiana, L.A., Los Angeles, I believe that. Is it Los Angeles or Louisiana? I don't know. On behalf of the little addicted babies in the near future, that's newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. If you want to get even with those McKenzie people out there for putting thoughts in your wife's head, all the older folks are rolling in the aisles right now at that. Uh, well, then there you go. And there you are. No, you're over there now. That's right, Stephen P. New, our good friend. But Jim, if I may, I think it's time for us to maybe take the tone down a little bit, talk about something a little more serious. WWE has brought back biography, and they were celebrating the NWO this week. You're about to take it more seriously than some of the participants did. (laughs) Uh, We're bringing it down. No, you know, again, they're they're very these programs. They're very artistic. Uh, they do some wonderful uh, research with the deep cuts of footage that you, you know, you would have thought, how the fuck did they even find that, right? All the backstage stuff that they didn't show on television and the, the WCW shit from 30 years ago. Even if they did show that on television, most people didn't see it. Um, and they, they put these shows together well. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is they're very attractive looking programs visually. And the content depends on the individuals involved in many cases. Would that be a fair summation? For the most part. It depends on who's involved wrestler-wise, or you mean talking head-wise? Well, yeah, well, yeah I mean, like talking head-wise and who, you know, who's actually telling this story. Uh, that sometimes the, the shows go a little off the beaten path, off the reservation, as they sometimes say. We'll probably be talking about that. But I was thinking about this beforehand. How can you do a biography of a gimmick? Now, I understand when they did the Randy Savage or they did the Ultimate Warrior, they did an individual, their life from start to finish. I know that they're anxious for WWE programming, but should they come up with a different... Well, they already have come up with umpteen different series. There's more WWE on A&E now than there is on any of their other networks. Uh, but it's all the classic stuff, or what's supposed to be classic. But I get you see what I'm saying? It's a loose definition of biography. It's a loose definition of A&E. It was arts and entertainment. <laughs> Remember when that network first started, what was on that channel? Yes. There was the fat lady singing at the opera. <laughs> That's right. And and the the you know the I, I don't even think Bob Ross made it to arts. He wasn't. He was too much of a blue collar kind of artist for that. They were going for the ritzy titsy things, and and then suddenly it you know oh, it was cable. Yeah. Well, look now, Ancient Aliens is on the History Channel. 
And if you go to the learning channel, you won't learn shit. If you go discovery, you won't discover anything. Was that part of the initial pitch, you think, to the investors of the History Channel? Like, all right, what do we do if we run out of history? <laughs> well, we'll just start talking about a new history with aliens. How did that end up on that channel? But, you know, think about this. You, you shouldn't ever run out of history because somebody's always making it. Right? Yeah. You're the History Network. You should not worry about how many Abraham Lincoln documentaries you make. Just keep churning them out. Was Abraham Lincoln truly a vampire hunter? All right, let's get to this program so we can get out of this program. Um, I'm more like our takedown of cable TV. Let's go channel actually, by channel. Actually, I, 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 have, I have had more fun today on the, on the side topics than actually the <laughs> shit that we're Paid to discuss as professionals, but nevertheless. Moonfall. Yes. Uh, I, will be, I will begin with Eric Bischoff's house is secluded, and I love that concept. But boy, it's got to be a hell of a trip to the grocery store. And that's, <laughs> and that, that, and I would need, I need more trees. He's got a beautiful view of the mountains that have the trees, but I need more trees. But goddamn, he don't have to worry about any fucking peeping toms, does he? To me, it was a nice house, but it was just like plop there. Like <laughs> really? even the land around it wasn't even like nice. It's brand new. I've they got to do some development. I'm I'm glad I'm see, I got a head start with Castle Cornet on the landscaping, because there's been some of these trees here for a hundred years, but That's he's got to start from scratch. That's so he's fair. he's he's got a long road to hoe, as hey, Aunt Lola would say. How about this? Less fishing, more planting. There you go. Less fishing, more planting. Because as ye sow, so shall ye reap, right? Who sows? Who is my Sue? Susie. All right. So uh, automatically at the top of the program says Eric Bischoff says, I created the NWO. Well, he did create the the, the name of the group and the uh, participants that he put in it, but I, he came as close in public, and maybe he even remembers it this way now, to admitting that he stole the concept from the promotional war in that New Japan was running at the time, rather than just, he said that he saw New Japan as, uh, uh, well, they've suspended disbelief better. No, it, it, it wasn't, that wasn't the concept of that got the NWO over. Do you, what, you know what I'm trying to say? It was the idea that another promotion's top stars are coming in, which was what they were doing in New Japan. You know more about it than I do. Well, that wasn't the concept that made Japanese wrestling fans suspend disbelief. What? No, well, of course not. The entire history of the business in there was them <laughs> suspending disbelief. And I mean, if you want to, the, the, a lot of the guys in, his, in the company he was in, WCW, were having matches comparable physically with the new Japan guys. And remember the stars that were in that company at the time, it wasn't the, the idea of the style of wrestling. It was the idea of that, that Turner broadcasting had made a shit puddle out of WCW and Bischoff saw the, but he's not the one who made the deal with new Japan. New Japan was already doing business with WCW before Bischoff became a vice president. Yeah. He may have continued the deal, but they were already doing business together. Well, yeah, that I I don't know. Did did he say? And I just glossed over it that he started doing business with him. He was there 
because WCW was doing business with them ongoing. And that's when he went to the dome and saw that and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I got to go back and watch it a second time. Uh, I thought he indicated that he was the one who put them together with New Japan. Well, there was a lot of indicating in here. I will, you can tell how smooth a salesman that Eric Bischoff is, and that's why he was so good in sales, and that's how he sold himself to Turner, and, you can, and that's why he was such an outstanding television personality as a heel, because he's got, he sounds like a genius talking about wrestling. But it, everybody that's ever worked with him say well, he had, he knows very little about actual wrestling. But he's a sale. He can sell some shit. I will give him that. And he's smooth. And he told the truth at first about WCW's dismal state, but he didn't indicate why, and they didn't want to get into it. But it wasn't the wrestling. It was obviously, as has been told for 30 years, the management since they'd gotten the thing. But he said, we needed a star. They had stars. They had no company. They had no infrastructure that was making any inroads in anything. They had run off the audience and the house show fan base, and they it was just a second-rate blah, blah, blah with all these still big names in wrestling. But they, he, rightfully so, <laughs> when, you, when you thought when you sign Hulk Hogan, you'll make a lot of fucking news. But then they presented it as a, as, in this program as like if it was a big deal instantly that Hogan was there, and then he didn't, and then they, they alluded to, yeah, things are getting a little stale about a year, year and a half, two years later, whatever it was. Was it not? They were losing money on Hulk's deal from the time he got there until the NWO, weren't they? Because of the exorbitant sum they paid him and the merchandising deal they gave him. We used to be joking about it in the locker room that they ought to sell the Hogan t-shirts in the shitter because every time they sell a Hulk Hogan t-shirt, it actually costs them money. Did they gloss over this part? Depends what you mean by they when you talk about Hogan and the budget. Was he in WCW's budget? Or was he in Turner Broadcasting's budget? Well, Wasn't that part good. of the deal where they were paying a large amount of the Hogan salary to get him in there? I got to go back and look over that stuff. Yeah. But Turner, Turner Home Entertainment was where they laid off a, a significant portion of the contracts of WCW onto because they were on their home video releases and they justified it that way. But that way, the WCW books, when the big stars were getting paid that ridiculous amount of money, looked better is the way I understand it. I want to say something I thought was funny, and I actually like Bischoff in these things. I know he's not always... But he's great. He's great. He's great. And if, especially if you don't know the story. Well, that's the thing. He's either forgetful at times or... I like to think he's just forgetful, not just dishonest. But he did say well, one I... thing that made me laugh, and I like him in these things, like I said, but he was saying how, you know, they were just giving away tickets. They had all these people they had to give away tickets to, and I'm like, yeah. And then you started paying people to sit in the fucking crowd. <laughs> Let's not leave that out. You're the one well, who paid models to come into center stage because you didn't want because you didn't want little African American kids who enjoyed the wrestling to be in camera sight. Come on, that's right. They were trying to they they wanted a more upscale looking audience, so they hired models that were obviously out of place, like a fucking screen door on a submarine sitting in the front row. That was the the first of all uh, with center stage. That was the thing, the atmosphere for TV wrestling when they first went there, and even 
into 1993 when I was last there. We did the invasion angle with the bodies and rock and roll and Watts was there. Was fucking great. It was so loud because besides the diehard wrestling fans that wanted to come and see all of the TVs if they lived in Atlanta, that was babysitting for the because it was right downtown. And you'd have the little black kids from the neighborhood between the ages of eight and 15 or 16 or whatever, who, because, you know, their parents said, well, fuck, we want to do something and we'll drop them off here, whatever the, however they got there. I wasn't the limo driver. I don't know how they, I wouldn't do the parking attendant, but they got there and they'd scream and yell at everything. And then you had the regular fans that didn't know what was going on as far as being smart or uh, marks or whatever, but they just like, and it was free. So it was a great atmosphere, and then they managed to flatten that out, too. I think it was around 93. I couldn't figure out what they were chanting. The audience there had their own chant. It was, whoop, there it is, before the song went national, and it was just a local Atlanta song. Yeah. That audience was yelling for months at the wrestlers, and I couldn't figure out what the hell they were saying. Whoop, there it is. I had no idea what they were saying. And then the song broke. I was like, what the fuck? How is this a song? And then you find out it's from Atlanta. So. But anyway, so they sign Hulk, and Hulk's comment was, "Hey, you know, it was he was admitting it was kind of a come down." He said, "I was used to big crowds on Monday and Thursday." No, he wasn't, because remember there was no SmackDown then, so that that takes <laughs> Thursday out. And on Monday, he had only made the first like six weeks of Monday Night Raw, didn't he? Before he was gone or whatever. So no, he what he made one at the Manhattan Center, which is like yeah, two thousand people at most. I mean, Raw wasn't even running big buildings yet. In right. You know, when I debuted, he was already gone and we were in a fucking cattle barn. Uh, so it wasn't, he was used to big crowds, I admit that, but not on Monday and Thursday. And then, oh, and here's the notes I made about Eric saying he took from, from Japan at the Tokyo Dome the suspension of disbelief. That wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't a Japanese, that was the concept of fucking wrestling. And yes, he's saying they were doing it right, whereas we weren't doing it. Well, that admits that, yeah, you should have been doing it. That's what we've been saying. That's what everybody was saying about WCW. But it wasn't, a, a, a again, a Japanese concept. That was the, the outside, outsiders, the outside stars doing the worked promotional war with the establishment. That was New Japan and UWFI. There you go. UWFI is what I couldn't fucking... Takata remember. and Hashimoto. Yeah, thank you very much. It's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. <laughs> so then they go to... What is the matter with you? It's getting out of hand. It's just well, at any point it, in the well, show now, you put just... It, put it back in your hand then. <laughs> um, so Razor Ramon then comes in, and, and I get they shot this... How long has Scott Hall been dead now? I think it's about a year, but they shot it in 2014. Oh, that was from that far back on this footage. I believe that footage was from when he went into the Hall of Fame that weekend. You know how they shoot stuff when they have the guys in okay, town? Okay, okay. Well, geez, then it, it I, I don't feel bad if it was that far back. that It looked like they made him up by a sculptor, you know, for heaven's sake. It was, I thought that was when he was ill, right? Okay, anyway. They gloss over in seconds how National Hall gave their notice, what the curtain call was, or 
the I think the, Nash was had probably told the story, but they clipped it to the point. A lot of this stuff with with Nash, especially, you could tell they'd clipped a lot of his story out because I think he was alluding to, well, Scott didn't care we were leaving. That's why he flunked the drug test or whatever. Or, but it was all glossed over. They basically sh- Hall shows up in in WCW and. Was was Scott Hall, was the curtain call in Madison Square Garden the night before his Nitro debut? When he said that in the documentary, I didn't because remember it that way. So I'm not going to say one way or the other. I got to go back and check. I don't think so. I didn't remember it that way. Maybe you can start Google find that because I. But but again, that's the way they told a story. But nevertheless, he makes the surprise debut, and then. They tease Nash's debut, obviously, and he shows up. Everybody knows, you know, what happened in front of the camera. And everybody knows why this worked. And I think if if I had to say anything about Eric, it's that he's taking a lot of credit for just going back to do an actual wrestling again. Can I say two things? One, yes. the click, uh, the curtain call was May 19th, 96. Yeah. Scott Hall's WCW debut, May 27th, 96. Okay, so eight, a, a week and a day. So it was still a very short period of time, but it wasn't the next day. All right. But everybody knows why this worked. It was big oh. stars. Oh, go oh, ahead. The, the, second other, thing. You know, the second thing I was going to say, I thought, unless there's something I haven't seen, this was as close as Bischoff's ever come to flat out admitting we wanted to pretend these guys were from WWE. Well, I will go along with you there because truthfully, I have not faithfully studied every bit of Eric's public statements. <laughs> but that, again, that, that was the what, lawsuit. That well, yes, that was the because that was actually Razor. It was Razor Ramon just not calling himself Razor Ramon or wearing the monogrammed outfit, but the mannerisms, the whole nine yards that they had developed there. He was still doing a Spanish accent. Yeah. Hey, week. Hey, yeah. Chicos, you know, so that's why WWF sued. Cause you know how Vince is about his intellectual property, but that again, that all ties into everybody knew and knows and has known why this worked. They were big name stars coming from the other promotion, which the last thing that everybody that followed wrestling then still believed was that the promotions hated each other and they came off as badasses and they were allowed to come off as badasses with the biggest push possible on the television. They were put over everybody and they were presented at least at the start before the storyline became somewhat obvious, but then people were invested. It was presented as real. These guys aren't from here. We don't want the blah, blah, blah. And that got it. That's elementary professional wrestling. That's every goddamn surprise debut that's ever been. They, oh, my JR said in 1988, that was my angle. My God, they don't even work here. It was JR's quote. It was my angle. The original Midnight Attacks from the AWA. And then I didn't invent it. And then. The, the footage that I'd forgotten about when they were in Charlotte, and that was luckily very early on, they were in Charlotte with that. And you see the squad of Charlotte Police Department officers hit the ring with their hands on their guns and unsnapping their holsters. That Doug Dillinger arranged that. I mean, that was, it was Charlotte. The cops had had a relationship with Crockett Promotions for 
30 fucking years or whatever. And it continued over when Doug worked for WCW after they bought Crockett. And that was an, it wasn't like the obviously fake cops you see on raw that, you know, look scared to be there and couldn't write a parking ticket. So again, this was making shit look as real as possible is as old as fucking Amarillo, Texas in the 1930s. That we always talk about. Uh, so that's it, but it was great promotion and it's a, it was, it was done brilliantly. I'm not saying that, but it's not. And it was different people put together with an updated look, but let, is this, you know, I wrote it at, at one point that was this and kind of an update, but once they got the NWO going and so celebrities and all that stuff, it was 15 years later, the rock and wrestling connection. Now they're riding on the celebrities and the fucking cool factor. But it, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Did you notice Eric Bischoff was a... Did, nobody remembers this. He was one of maybe the worst baby face that in the history of wrestling television. He just... He didn't come off as the baby face announcer or trying to really be in charge of the company. You didn't like that fucking guy. But what a brilliant stellar heel he is. You know, if I could say one more thing... I actually think, and I always have, that because of the fall of WCW, people completely overlook the positives, the things he really did to change the game, expand the game, expand the money in the game. Again, before the downfall, which, hope, which could have been prevented with better management. I do think he gets the shaft when it comes to the actual accomplishments he's had. Because... As a fan, and again, you were working for the competition, this was one of the most exciting times, or maybe the single most exciting time to be a wrestling fan for me ever. Starting in the summer of 96, with just everything happening in wrestling, not just yeah. there. But this was really the big thing, and whether it's WCW, and probably not, or Eric, probably not, or the presentation, probably not, just them being there, whatever it was... Nash and Hall, as soon as they went to WCW, they felt like bigger stars. Yeah. It's a weird thing because they had been featured. They had been world champion in Kevin Nash's case. Big stars in WWE, they felt like bigger stars instantly in WCW. Because Diesel was fake. And everybody knew Razor Ramon wasn't fucking Al Pacino on steroids. But when they come out as themselves, even if they can't be called those names, but they look like they're dressed in street clothes and they've showed up in another company and the, there wasn't the internet and the behind the scenes knowledge that there is today. It did surprise people. I know the modern fans can't figure that out, but no, everybody, when they saw it live on TV, oh shit, these were, these were surprises. It became real. And then those, those guys, because Vince was stale, yes. But also, what have we said so many times? Different environments and different presentation. Cody traded up going to the WWE. But Hall and Nash traded up, leaving the WWF and going to WCW because of the way they were presented, allowed to be more believable and real. Do their shit, and and once again, as as they got into in the program, to the detriment of all the baby faces, these guys were pushed to the moon, and they carried the ball. But it wouldn't have happened in the WWF because those that 
fan base already knew who those people were and, you know, had the reaction they had. And they didn't believe a lot of it. And then they, they go to the company that was the last, WCW was the spiritual successor of Crockett Promotions and the NWA, so they went to the last place where a, they had a any kind of fan base where the people really wanted to see that wild, crazy, real-looking shit. And then they built on that from there. Go ahead. No, no, that, that's, uh, we can keep moving. Um, <laughs> the biography rolls on. So then who's the third man? And Eric admits that, almost admits that Hulk wasn't over as a babyface before the turn. Uh, it was, you know, it was like, well, and, and then Hogan said, well, I felt it starting to slip. It wasn't slipping. It had been flat, right? That it needed this. Because again, WCW was the spiritual successor of a company and even a company that had done everything it could to tell its fans for years that Hogan wasn't the fucking guy. And then they bring in Hulk Hogan and make him the fucking guy. And they didn't have an audience at that point very much anyway, but the diehard ones that were left were the ones that really were resented the WWF, whatever the fuck, style, look, same thing. He comes in red and yellow. Yeah. But then he, Eric pitches the heel turn and, and he, Hulk, uh, nah. he didn't see it at first. And Hulk says, I was worried about the kids. He was worried about yeah. fucking merchandising and movie roles and what if it don't work? I, I buy that, but not the kids. Yeah, that's exactly it. He waited until he saw that it was over. Well, and then he saw that it was going to be Sting. And he started, and then Bischoff says that he then calls him up and says, well, who's the third man? He knew it would get over at that point, and he saw it was going to be Sting unless he did something about it. So he did something about it, and he's the third guy. And that was, again, it was brilliant. It wasn't, it wasn't a revolutionary idea to turn a, a top babyface heel that's been going on since the dawn of time. And I think they made it a big deal, like nobody will ever accept this to make it a shocking thing. But no, it I, it made sense because they were tired of him as a babyface. It had been 15 years. And it always freshens. If a guy got stale in the territory days in one way or another as a heel or a babyface, and he's figured in some kind of way he's in the office or he's a top name you don't want to lose, but you need to give him some juice, switch him heel or switch him baby face and run it for a year. You can't be flip-flopping. And then if you do switch him back with the right people under the right circumstances, he's stronger than he was. Because in effect, how can I miss you if you won't go away? But when you switch somebody in that kind of position, they do go away without actually going away. It's a different personality in inhabiting that body. But then they, the fans remember the good guy or they remember down deep the bad guy. So when the heel switches babyface, now they want to see the fucking heel that they now are on the side of kick the shit out of the heel that they don't like even more now because he's fresher. Or if the babyface switches heel then they will hate him because he's a turncoat. But when another heel comes along to fucking push that guy into turning back babyface, they've missed him. 
because he went away and now he's come back. So they'll accept it if you do it right. Brian, am I over elaborating? No. All right. So anyway, and Bischoff admitted they had no plan for the NWO once they turned Hogan heel. Uh, that I believe, but oh my God, I can't believe it. And uh, Would that prevent uh, you from doing it? If you had I, the moment, if you had the moment right there, but you just didn't have the ending in mind yet, would that stop you from doing it? No, because I'd have the, uh, well, you wouldn't have an ending in mind of the whole goddamn thing, but I'd know where I wanted to fucking go the next few months before I would do something of that magnitude. And maybe they just didn't, you know, maybe they just say they didn't have a plan or they did have a plan. I don't know. Who was the nerd doing the sit down comments? I He kept popping up like he was an expert of some description. Oh, they said that on the screen, it said he's the NWO biographer. He has a biography of the NWO coming out. Oh, boy. I wonder, well, I wonder if that biography is going to leave out Ted DiBiase like this one did. Remember, no, DiBiase was like the fourth. Was he the fourth or the fifth member? He was the fifth member, yeah, I think. He, he, DiBiase was in one clip in the background when they were already like a six-person gang. But anyway, when they get into, again, the NWO push, Eric is crowing about all these shoot-type angles, the stuff in the back, stuff in the parking lot, were not innovative. They were done with a better budget, and they were being done with more frequency, and more people were doing it. But, I mean, Memphis TV in the 70s. You know, they're out of the parking lot. Lawler gets run over by Eddie Gilbert. People are calling the cops. And that's not just Memphis, other wrestling territories. Again, the, this was wrestling kind of shit. But again, as they started hot-shotting, this was the kind of shit you saw once a year in your territory. And you're seeing it twice a night now because they're just hauling out all the stops. And then, you know, Sean Waltman shows up and Hulk wins the title from the Forgot the big show's name was The Giant. What creativity they put in poor Paul. And so after he beat the big show. Better than the big Giant, show. Giant's better than well, big show. True, at least his initials weren't BS. And then the Giant joins the NWO. And all the WCW guys became cannon fodder. And then Bischoff joins the NWO as the secret weapon. And he goes honestly from a rotten baby face to a great heel. But as we. Everybody in the business was looking at the time, except for the people in the NWO. They've got the fucking boss of the show, allegedly, and they've got these guys that never sell, never get beat, never get one-upped. They're unstoppable, which would be their problem eventually. That's what led it to fall apart. You had to make the, it more palatable for the fans that there was some type of parity between the people that they were supposed to want to see win, and some still did, and the people that you know were just there for the NWO because they were, you know, assholes. They ended up going with Sting, and they obviously ended up extending the NWO and transforming it as years went on. But I guess the thing was there for them to have like a united WCW front really get together. Flair's camp and Savage was a loose cannon, and Sting if he hadn't done that, and Luger and. The Dungeon of Doom and that wacky, like, if everyone got together to fight the NWO, we never really got that. No, you got a bunch of disjointed, ineffectual, fucking half-ass attempts at people right. fighting the NWO that were thrown together piecemeal, but no, the Sting was the only 
one they put concerted effort in. Probably because Sting was one of the biggest contract that didn't come from the WWF. And they made him more hardcore. And Scott Hall's the one suggested, watch The Crow. And again, Sting went away without going away. And the people missed him. They did the deal where they pulled him into the rafters. He didn't speak. He grew the hair out. He changed his look. He became the guy that was going to fucking, eventually he'll save us. And it was a year. And even Bischoff said, I, I wanted to make this the longest build in, you know, wrestling history. But and it, it was the remodel. Yes, and it worked. And it was the remodel of Sting in that you didn't, you didn't hear him speak every week and you didn't see him wrestle every week or even every month. And you, he, but he still had a presence as he was metamorphosizing. And that's, again, you know, when you have... Here's the thing. That's the only wrestling company in history that had the budget that could have paid staying his contract to just sit up in the rafters for a fucking year. So that's one thing, but it's it was great and it worked. But you couldn't have done it in a previous generation. But that's... And, and that's... At that point... They're building Sting and Hogan, and the NWO is over like crazy, and they got Dennis Rodman, and they're stealing fashion tips from rappers, and they're on Jay Leno. That was rock and wrestling from 1985, rap and wrestling, or just cool culture and wrestling in 1998. And, it, it, you know, it's... But then Bischoff admits it's harder to remain successful than become successful. And did you did you get to the point, because a couple of people had tweeted about this, and that's where it came up in the program, because I had to watch out for it, uh, where I told you about this when I first heard about the program, where Hulk said that Vince told him they were two weeks from closing the doors. Now that you've, you've seen that and fully seen it fleshed out. I have. He actually believes that people are going to believe that. With Hogan, you don't know if he does. Do you think he believes it or does he know he's lying? I, you would almost have to fucking know you're lying no, about something like no, that. But, but you, you see, like George Santos, you look at this guy, you're like, this guy knows he's full of shit. He's just, he knows he's a liar. I think when Hogan, he starts telling a story and he almost gets lost in his own story and then he starts believing the story. And by the end of it, he's telling you a story. But he thinks it's actual reality. Brother? Well, boy, that sounds like a lot more effort and time and energy than just telling the truth. But Hulk follows up saying that he's the one that told Ted Turner to go head-to-head -head with the WWE. That's the only way you're going to beat him, brother. When everybody knows the story and it is true, Bischoff in the meeting blurting out, well, we got to go head-to-head. -head. Okay, do it. Oh, shit. He's told that himself. And it... <laughs> But Hulk says he's the one that told, because he Hulk and Ted talked all the time. And then Hogan says, when they are discussing the NWO and the peak of its success, he says, well, we got close to, we weren't trying to put Vince out of business, but we got close. I talked to him one time. He said that he was a couple of weeks away from shutting the doors. Well, I was in that goddamn monolithic, megalithic, four-story plus a parking garage underneath fucking office tower in Stamford much more often than I wanted to be all through that period of time. And there was nobody conducting a yard sale. 
there were no checks bouncing. There were no people being laid off. He screwed Brett on his contract. And Alfred Hayes. And well, and that was two years previously. Um, and JJ. That was, that was at the same time, <laughs> two years previously. And we're not talking about he had never screwed anybody. We're talking about this particular point in time. For when I was in the office on a regular basis from 96 through the middle of 99, nobody was running with their heads on fire. Nobody was being fired, laid off. There were no fucking, you know, suspicious emails floating around like, take your personal belongings. And I was sitting listening to Vince talk about to various department heads, either in person or on the phone, about plans that they were making for months and months in advance is the point I'm making. So, But is there any chance, years later, anytime after 2002, he was there 2002, 2003, maybe into 2004, anytime would Vince and him have had a talk and Vince said, you know, the truth is, I didn't want to tell you guys, but we were on the verge of closing the doors because of what you were doing down there. Is there any chance that could have happened? Because of what WCW? No. At no point in time. I think Hogan is taking the story that Vince told Brett that he, you know, because he didn't want to pay that contract. All things are dire. As meaning that, okay, well, we're putting him out of business. But that was... 97 anyway as we know the summer of the summer of our discontent and he's taking that to extrapolate that oh my god they were on the verge of no the company wasn't going to shut down and and i'm not denying that vince may have alluded to that to bret hart to get out of that what how many millions of dollar contract it was when he screwed bret around but uh but no there was never a point in time where because I was, again, it's not like Vince was presenting sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls to us. When, you know, when he would rant and rave about how he lost $6 million in 1995, you know, I think he would have said when we're sitting there or when he's talking to his department heads or his financial officer on the phone or his fucking legal team, well, you know, goddamn, I don't think we can make rent next month. It's ridiculous. They they were not going to, they were, was there ever a point in time where Vince was smarting because they were outdrawing him and he, his business was not good? Yes, but two weeks away or two months away from locking the doors of the WWF is a little bit preposterous. Because The only Hogan- time in, in history that that could have happened that Hogan was around would have been at some point when they were... Robin Peter to pay Paul right before WrestleMania and canceling, you know, closed circuit locations. They didn't want to pay the rent on at the last minute and they floated past that. And then there you go. But otherwise, no. I was going to say, didn't Hogan roll his eyes? Wasn't he one of those guys when Bischoff would claim he was going to put Vince out of business? Well, that was a different program. Oh. So there you go. Anyway, moving on, Sting. Confronts Hogan after the one-year build and the press conference and the whole nine yards, and Eric admits that Sting, the plan all along, he would beat Hulk and be the world champion and redeem WCW until in the eyes of the fans until the night of the show. And then Hulk says, that don't work for me, brother. 
And a hoax explanation. Well, when you beat somebody, they need to be better off than they, you need to leave them better off. Well, that's an old trope of the wrestling business that most of the time you aspire to, if, if especially in the territory days. But Hulk Hogan was not going to be any less fucking over or less paid if he had dropped that belt to Sting with a Stinger Splash and a Scorpion that night. He's still going to be fucking Hulk Hogan. And he's told a story before. Well, Sting came in and didn't have a tan. That meant he wasn't serious. What? He was, he was a fucking crow. He was supposed to be translucent. And, and then, you know, there's other stories that said, well, he, he was the one who went to Nick Patrick and told, said, don't fast count it. Nobody wanted to, Sting was noncommittal. He just said, I wish we could have stuck to the original plan and the last minute stuff never works. Nash says you can't give a wrestler creative control flat out. And he's, was the and only right. one honest there. The yeah. only one being honest. Uh, Bischoff said, well, Hulk never used the control, but that night he called an audible. And they decided, well, we'll give Hogan the fast count so Sting can demand a rematch. But then Nick Patrick didn't fast count it, and the story's always been that Hogan told him not to. But Hulk said in this program, well, the referee counted the three, and he didn't kick out. Like it was Sting's fault. He wasn't supposed to kick out. And Hulk said he was. That was not, no, that's the first time he's ever said that in public. <laughs> and then if that was the case... If he was supposed to come, kick out, then why did Bret Hart, did he just do it on his own? Wander out there and demand a restart because the hero had gotten screwed? That's Bret's big goddamn moment, right? Which sent him into a tailspin for the rest of his WCW career because this was all fucked up. And Hulk doesn't remember Bret's involvement or the second referee coming down ever being talked about. Well, if that was the case... Then you mean to tell me that Hulk Hogan just saw Bret Hart come down to ringside and say, no, that was bullshit, restart it, and Hogan immediately started working with Sting and then let himself be put into a sharpshooter? Just ad-lib. Well, sure, let's do it this way. And Eric Bischoff's comment was, well, as I'm sitting here right now, I just can't remember. And then the, the nerd came back in to say, well, it really was a confusing mess. You think? That's why it's been a, it was a confusing mess that night to everybody, and it's remained that way for all these years. But from impartial observers and people that have discussed it, uh, trying to get to the truth of it rather than save their reputation in years past, basically the story was that Hulk... Wasn't going to fucking put him over clean so they would do a fast count with the heel referee, Nick Patrick, that would join them somehow or be beholden to them. Bret Hart would come down, demand a restart because Sting clearly got screwed. And then they'd do the, sh the thing they did, the sharpshooter, and fucking Sting wins the belt. That's correct, right? Right. Well, none of these motherfuckers could tell the story as well as <laughs> I did, and they were there. So anyway, and of course, as rightly so, they said the fans lost faith as a result of the shitty match, and Bischoff admitted it. And But then did you see by now, as they're going by like the 98 
later 98 period. Now there, there were Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan sitting there next to each other as buddies. Because remember, they did that. They split the NWO into NWO red and black and NWO black and white. And they broke up Hall and Nash. I wasn't. This is at the point where I was tuned out in, in where I was working, much less the other guys. And I didn't watch a lot of this stuff. But so I'd forgotten or never seen that they did all this shit. But it became a mess. And that's not my word. That's words they used on the program. And somehow Eric was blaming corporate cutting his budgets and he was fighting with them and losing fights with them and he was distracted. So let's split the NWO in half. I, I, I don't know how we got there. Everybody apologized. Hulk apologized for being involved in the finger poke of doom and said Eric's decisions were bad and he was acting cool. And what does that mean? Well, that's where they, because Eric was a full-fledged member of the NWO by this point. He's not only doing the walk, but he's cocky and he's acting like he's a superstar. And they had footage of him, remember, when he tried to work and was beating people up, even Ric Flair. And and he tried to sell himself as a goddamn karate expert or whatever. They were... That's what I mean? That's what acting cool means? I thought it was like, you know... Buddy had to go away a few times. He was acting cool a little too much. <laughs> well, I, but I'd forgotten again that they had Bischoff. He could talk. We've said that. He could never fucking work. And his shit looked rotten. And they showed people obviously taking phony bumps for it. And he's out there beating up Ric Flair. He raid. And Hulk says Bischoff is a mark for Hall and Nash. We need to get back to business. Well, he's the one that started the downfall of their business with Starcade 97 when he just couldn't come in and and act like anybody but Mil Moscaris and do a fucking job after a year-long build. And then it was it pretty much after that, they jumped <laughs> around a lot. Go ahead. It just is amazing showing up the day of and deciding, you know what? Everything we've been doing for over a year, <laughs> I've just decided we're not doing that. Uh, and uh, that's that's worse than anything Shawn Michaels ever fucking did. He better be glad Sting was Steve Borden and a a modern generation guy and professional and didn't want to get involved in drama because with some with can you imagine if he tried to do that to Randy Savage? What the match would have looked like? Well, Randy so, would have been confused if Hogan went off script. Well. And, and, and I could I could pick other people, but I'm just thinking of people that he's been in the ring with. But at the end of the program, it suddenly they jumped to Vince buying WCW, and Hogan blames the merger AOL Time Warner. He didn't mention the massive losses of sixty million dollars plus. And then suddenly they jump ahead to 2002, where Hulk and Hall and Nash arrive in the WWE as the NWO and try to be heels and run over the rock and the ambulance with the fucking semi or whatever the fuck. And then Hogan talks about how astonished that everybody was when he was cheered at WrestleMania. You know what he did, don't you, Brian? What's that? He had gone away and they missed him. Because there's no way that after that run in WCW that Hulk and Hall and Nash were going to be the NWO and WWE and babyface or heels 
it was not only still a different audience, and it remains different audience in AEW to this day in some part, in large part, but also now it's Hulk Hogan after nine years. The, the say your prayers, take your vitamins that the company was built on. It's not WCW where he was seen as the goddamn enemy when they were pulling for flair all those years. And here comes this guy and stealing all the thunder. This was our wrestling. Now he's gone back to where he was there wrestling. Toronto. Tantan in Toronto. So, of course, that, you know, it was, it, they missed him because he went away. And he tried to attribute it to the NWO being cool. The NWO didn't make a fuck to the WWF audience in 2002. They got Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash back. There was no coverage of Hall and Nash's return. And, of course, I, they were somewhat spotty and not nothing, you know, to the extent of the Hulk and Rock match. But that was, again, it's a different atmosphere and different audience in, in many parts that thinks a different way and has been trained a different way. And then you add in nostalgia. We missed you. You really did go away. It wasn't you turned heel in our company. It was that you left our company. But now you're back. Uh, yay. These are elementary wrestling reactions, and they're just magnified because we were talking about some of the biggest stars in the business at various points. So, but basically then they jumped to Scott Hall's death, and Nash was obviously emotional about that, and I think they should have left it with that instead of Eric telling the heartwarming, cockle-warming story of the fan who asked him to walk her down the aisle because I think Nash was a little more emotional and a little more to the point of this, but they ended with the NWO Hall of Fame speech for the WWE. And ah, there you go. This is, again, it. I'm not knocking, I'm not saying they didn't draw money or do any business. I'm saying when you look at it carefully, just getting people to try to believe shit is not exactly a novel concept in wrestling. But we are going to be living with more and more of the WWE retellings of history uh, through this programming, and unless we still keep the impartial observers out there trying to keep everybody straight, don't you think? I think so. I think this is why it's so important that we talk about the real history of wrestling here on these shows. I want to reiterate what I said to you off air before we watch this. Because I stand by it. This is the least dishonest I've seen Hogan in a while. <laughs> Despite everything you said. You know, I'm just curious what you're beyond the documentary. And Sean Waltman, I think, is always great in these things. And he's right. They never should have broken up Hall and Nash. Yeah. Simple as that. And Kevin Nash, despite being involved in some things I may not have been a fan of, I always love him in these things. He seems... He's, he, he's a personality. And he's got a head on his shoulders. He's not a yeah. dummy. I thought that that period of time in 96, from late spring into Survivor Series for both companies was such an exciting time. And ECW, I was going to all those ECW shows in Philly, and it was just exciting. But the NWO, you watch those clips in, in the documentary, everything felt so live. Like, you didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. 
And it's a feeling, and I haven't watched a lot of that stuff in a long time, but when you watch a lot of it, all of a sudden, like those montage clips and different things, nothing has that energy anymore. And that's what I really miss. It was such an exciting time. I was one of those kids watching both shows every Monday night, taping them and then making compilations. I mean, I was obsessed. It was great. It was such an exciting time, and it was the energy. And WWF at that time was, you know, King of the Ring was what? May? June? When was King of the Ring? June. June. So that's Austin. Austin starts picking up leading in the Survivor Series to go against Brett. I mean, it was an exciting time. Things were beginning to happen, but like I said before, I think Bischoff, because of the downfall, because of his seemingly either forgetfulness or just not telling the truth, people completely denigrate everything he's ever been involved with, but he's an important figure in wrestling history, and I think the things he did right that could have hopefully been maintained somewhat with proper management shouldn't be put down completely just because he wasn't the proper management in the end. In the end. Yes. And I agree with that. I concur there. And I also agree with what you said. There's no energy like that now in the two companies. None. And see, we've said, uh, and also remember, these were compilation highlights of all these chaos. You can't just do chaos constantly or then you have no, no normalcy to have chaos. It just chaos becomes the norm. There's no baseline, right? We've said that. But having said that, in the two companies right now, the WWE is so s- slickly done and b- seamlessly produced and everything falls into perfect place, except sometimes the wrestlers. It's so obviously overproduced and overscripted and over choreographed and, and there's absolutely nothing going to happen of, of any kind of, you know, spontaneous excitement. And in AEW, the shortcoming, they try to do what Nitro did or what classic old-time wrestling shows did was have shit break out that's not supposed to happen. But because not only of the overdoneness of it, but also because of the, to be honest, the talent that can't still can't make it look real in most cases, theirs is just a kind of a parody of crazy wrestling rather than the actual feeling you get that, Oh shit, this is dangerous. Well, it's dangerous when they're taking these crazy bumps, but their angles just go by you because you're accepting. You see shit like that all the time. Nothing stands out. So there we've got the two ends of the spectrum and seems like somehow if we just get the best of one into the other, we'd have something, but the twain is not meeting. No, I mean, that's the thing. I actually want to go back and watch some of those old Nitros now after watching that. Just to see, <laughs> no, just to see the energy, because I remember those shows. I liked them. They had great matches. But no, I'm I'm laughing at the thought that the WWE's big new series on A&E makes you want to go back and watch shit from 25 years ago instead of their program they're doing every week right now. They had good short matches. They had lots of promos, but there were interesting things. And as a wrestling fan, it was just fascinating who would randomly pop up. There had never been anything like that since Vince's expansion, where you'd watch WWF TV and all of a sudden, oh, there's Bulldog Buzz Sawyer, and then he's gone. Like, all of a sudden, random people, Marty Jannetty's on this show all of a sudden, Greg Valentine, just random people, Scott Putzky, I mean, just random people. And there was an energy, 
I even like the announcer setup. I, I hadn't seen it in a while where the WCW announcers were far away, but you could see the audience in the background. Obviously, you need an audience there to do it, which is probably why AEW can't do that. But it's a great look. I hate that as an announcer, though, I'll tell you that. Because you just have to focus on nothing but the monitor with it behind yeah, you? Well, well, all the yeah, action well, yeah, not only are you away from ringside so you can't really feel the energy where the shit's happening, but also you've got your back turned to what's going on and all you're looking at is the monitor and the fucking back end of the goddamn arena with a bunch of anvil cases and equipment fucking trucks sitting there. But it looks good on TV. It looks great at home. You know what they do, too? They edit out when Hogan comes out there to turn and go to the NWO. They now edit out. They've done this for years. They edit out Heenan saying, Which side is he on? But whose side is he on? He got some heat for that because he, you know, and it was a natural comment to make, you know, to him at the time. But they were, oh, he's giving it away. Well, no, I don't think that many people paid that much attention to it because it was, you know, Bobby being the foppish color commentator sometimes in large part no that was the moment that made bobby a baby face he was right about hogan all these <laughs> yeah, years he was right <laughs> he was the only one that saw through it <laughs> poor andre andre knew this guy was right <laughs> well that was biography of uh the nwo and and we're gonna digest uh the rivals between hogan and andre and uh, talk about that this week on the experience that's right, and we'll see what's next on Biography next week here on the drive-thru. That was, for some people watching those old clips, that was awesomeness. And of course, if you want to keep the awesomeness going, you can have a box of awesome brought right to your door. Isn't that right, Jim? Well, I've, I don't know about your door. I think people might have a problem getting over the moat that you've installed to get to your door, but most people... You can get a box of awesome delivered to your house every month from Bespoke Post or Bespoke Post. We're still arguing, Brian and I, but it's spelled B-E-S-P-O-K-E. And boy, I will speak about Bespoke right now. We've talked about the fact that they hand curate from small businesses that you would probably have never heard of otherwise around the country, unique items. And it's to everybody's, they have a variety of things, a ridiculous, um, a, a cacophony of things, a bountiful bouquet of items that you can choose from depending on your interest. Travel must-haves, cocktail kits, cozy essentials, knives, luggage. I mean, it's there all over the place. Whatever you like, they got something to fit it. What you do is you go to boxofawesome.com and you take the quiz, and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They do new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. I, hear that, Brian? I got the Weekender. What's that? Which, the weekend. well, I'll tell you what it is. It is a beautiful canvas bag. It's a, it's a travel bag for the weekend. And it is not only a beautiful canvas bag, but it has the metal framework, leather handles and straps, the reinforced frame to make sure that, you know, it takes a beating and keeps on ticking. The heavy-duty canvas, you ain't going to get any holes in this. Hand-hewn durability. Vintage-inspired style. I'll have you know that this design is based on the bags that were once used by stonemasons to carry their building tools. So Stacy has absconded with it, and she is putting her 
painting tools in the weekender so she can take them around. And I'm not talking about painting houses or barns. I mean, portraits and landscapes. And barns. Well, and and she can paint a barn. Why not? A picture of a barn. Why not a mural on the side of the barn? Well, she'd need a ladder. She's only 5'4". You know those barns are tall. But anyway, uh, basically, this versatile bag that I'm talking about here, it's an heirloom-level carry-all is what it is. And it was by the company Line of Trade, which is one of the fine, young, white meat baby face companies around the, <laughs> the country trying to make livings for themselves in the wrestling business. And, and that's why the folks at bespoke post and box of awesome.com support these people with every time that you buy a box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses because 90% of everything that comes in it is from one of these small up and coming brands trying to make a name for themselves as best they can. And each of the awesome boxes of Box of Awesomes that you get is valued at around $70, but you pay a fraction of that, just a mere a mere smidgen, just a small slice, a veritable soup son of that price. It's free to sign up. You can skip a month. You can cancel any time. And you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code DRIVE at checkout boxofawesome.com the code drive at checkout 20% off your first box Brian first time I bought a box I didn't get 20% off I'm gonna let that one stay there because I don't know where you were going and yes box of awesome well it was years ago before the folks at boxofawesome.com got involved All right, well, let's uh, get involved with a question or two more and get the hell out of here. It's been a long show, a long time we've been doing this show. It feels like it's been a long time. It's been a long time, Jim. It's been a long time. I think I should be going. Jim, this next one, this first one. Time doesn't wait for me. It keeps on flowing. It's a long road. Melody doesn't work for you either. On a distant highway. Or harmony. Listen, let's get to a question here. This was sent. To Courtney Drive through at gmail.com from Jerry. Please comment on this lawsuit. Does Corny have a case against TNA? What? Because they contributed to his tinnitus. Yep. And I have an article here from PW Insider by Mike Johnson. Lawsuit filed over alleged fan injury at WWE WrestleMania 38 in Dallas. A lawsuit was filed last month in Texas over an alleged injury that took place at WrestleMania 38 in Dallas, PW Insider has learned. Marvin Johnson filed a a lawsuit against WWE on January 12th before the District Court of Tarrant County, alleging that he lost hearing in his left ear while an invitee to WrestleMania 38 due to a pyrotechnics blast that occurred as part of WWE production. We have a quote here from Jackson's lawsuit. On or about April 3rd, 2022, plaintiff attended WrestleMania 38, which was hosted by defendant and located at AT AT&T Stadium, 1 AT&T Way, Arlington, Texas. Plaintiff was an invitee on the premises. 
defendant was the occupier of the press <laughs> of the premises. Wait, what? Plaintiff was seated next to the stage at the venue. When performance began, pyrotechnics went off. The blast from the pyrotechnics was so loud that it caused plaintiff to lose almost all hearing in his left ear. No facts suggest that anything plaintiff did or failed to do in any way caused or contributed to the incident or resulting damages. Defendant failed to notify anyone or place any warnings to warn of the existence of the dangers associated with pyrotechnics. As a result, the plaintiff has suffered serious injuries. The lawsuit is accusing WWE of negligence, gross negligence, and strict liability, and claims WWE knew of the risk involved in using the pyrotechnics, and that he was injured, this is Marvin here, due to, quote, objective extreme risk that defendant was subjectively aware, excuse me, subjectively aware of, yet disregarded for cosmetic effect. What do you think of all this, Jim? Okay, first thing, obviously, I think everybody has realized by now, we've heard of the price tag, the WWE is a multi-billion dollar company. They have people who do the pyro that are professional pyro people. And if there is any suspicion that any member of the audience would be injured by the pyro they do different pyro it's not like they just as somebody said hey hey vince or triple h you know if we blow this shit off for fucking bailey uh, chances are some old woman out there is going to lose an eye they did well then shut that shit down have you ever heard of anybody any fans or uh, any of those people being injured by the WWE pyro, especially at a stadium where you got all that room. We remember the undertaker got set on fire one time and I believe something else blew up in somebody else's face. One of the boys. Well, it says here in the lawsuit, while the use of pyrotechnic displays is commonplace on holidays at outdoor events, the use of deafening pyrotechnics in indoor facilities with echoing effects is an irregular practice and should not be considered a matter what? of common usage. Wait a minute. Doesn't any big concert in a stadium, any big fucking show anywhere indoors or outdoors, they often have pyro, do they not? Well, he's specifying here deafening pyrotechnics. Well, so that's more about thing, the boom than the flame. He says he was an invitee. That means he didn't buy a ticket and come in as a fan. He was invited. Did they fucking sit him on a goddamn speaker over on the side of the stage? Well, it did say he was by the stage. Maybe he was friends with uh, the key grip. Well, that's that's what I'm wondering because I don't see how... Here's what I think. I don't see how a fan would be able to get close enough to anything, especially in a stadium like that. We're not talking about a small or enclosed indoor arena to be injured. If he was invited, if it was a, if he was a friend of somebody or, or I don't know what the word invitee entails in this legal filing here, but if he was invited, he was a freebie. Somebody said, come and hang out by the stage. Then he's standing next to the stage. If nobody told him about the pyro, 
then that might fall on the responsibility of the pyro company and or whoever invited this fucking litigious son of a bitch to come over there to begin with. And if he's suing the WWE for injuries caused by pyro, I would think then the WWE would go much as they did in a much more tragic and important instance They would uh, where they went to the Shackle company over the Owen Hart situation. WWE would go to the pyro company and say, well, wait, you blew this fucking guy's head off. And then they would determine whether or not that he was in a place he was supposed to be in or knew he shouldn't be in or wandered there anyway or whatever the fuck. So this ain't a clear cut. And that's that's why it's and, and from the sound of this guy's lawyer. Who knows absolutely nothing probably about WrestleMania, one would think that you would know by now that there was going to be some pyro blowed off at that particular point in time. The lawsuit was filed in Texas last month, requesting a jury trial and seeking monetary relief of more than a million dollars, including damages of any kind, penalties, costs, expenses, prejudgment interest, and attorney's fees. Yeah, and and see, that's the thing, is that a lot of companies, remember uh, TBS at one point was very lawsuit scared and they would just settle shit that's why they got sued so many times and vince mcmahon has not been sued nearly i I know you think he's been sued a lot he has been sued a lot for us normal folks he's not been sued nearly as many times or his company as as he would have been if he settled any suit good bad or indifferent they don't settle shit they will fight and because a lot of times some company that big was oh he wants over a million in attorney's fees and this and that. Well, the lawyers want most of that, so offer him 500 grand just to go away. We won't have to defend it. And chances are the guy'd take it because his fucking ears are ringing. Otherwise, he can still fuck, whatever the case, right? But that sets a pattern that you've settled, and you will settle. And that that's bait. And that gets more people that have a fucking grudge when you're goddamn the... Wait a minute, Vince McMahon and his crew ordered a pizza from Domino's to the production room and that Domino's driver rear-ended me. I want a new car, whatever. All right. Well, that will be the final question. The only question this week, we will get more questions next week. We owe it to the listeners. If you have questions about questions, we'll, we'll have more questions. That's right. But Hey, no Charlie from Starkville. So for those of you that complain about that, there you go. Big win for you this week, but Jim, let's get out of here with a song. This one was sent a corny drive through a Gmail. <laughs> what? I see the name of the song. I see the name of the song, and I already know what it is. Sent the corny drive through a Gmail dot com from Stephen in Limerick, Ireland. Save your prayers every day. <laughs> you want to your funny. You can't come to love. <laughs> Tuck me in, I'm one within Keep me free from reality Till the snowman he comes I sleep with both eyes open Gripping my dildo tight Exit light I'm up all night I take a gram 
I'm off to never ending high spot land. <laughs> Influenced by Lior, clearly. Lior's influence is everywhere now. Whoa, whoa, what's that? Something's wrong, stop the fight. Punk is winning, and it's versus four guys. <laughs> this is so bad. Dreams of raw, dreams of dynamite, dream of a can fire. All of these guys that fight, yeah. Sleep with both eyes open. Gripping my dildo tide. Exit light. I'm up all night. I take a gram. I'm off to never ending high spot land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me stop this again. Well, then. This is Enter Snowman. <laughs> God, he wasn't even close to like coming anywhere near the song. What was that? Well, it was even, that's what the, the musicians call these behind the beat, I think. That's what they call that. Behind the beat? Really? Yes. Right. Possibly behind the eight ball. Well, thank you very much. See, see what I did there? I see what you did. Thank you very much, Stephen. We have another song from a, I believe this would be pronounced Stefan in Auburn, Maine. Let's go to this. This is a parody of Burning Heart by Survivor for those of you Rocky Five fans. Let's go to this. Oh, you got a problem with that, nerd? I'll throw a fireball in your face because I'm a wizard. Dedication is a limited cash spending years on superstitions. Party boat claims he's the goat. How much can we take? Dreams of beating up aggressive slopes. It's part of his plan. This feast will ingest the span from man. Cons masturbating his ego. Lion heart, he's the fucking worst. Where's a corset for a man? So it's time to burst. <laughs> and on dynamite, gas leap aspires. He's lion heart, there's no doubt to retire. He's lion heart. By breaking the code, his own finisher. Chris's body will drop. His opponent flies, however. You know, I still don't get how that works. <laughs> <laughs> we see his own goal, I can remember. When it's on pay per view, it's not against Fox, he applies. In a bottle of pills, or at least a heart attack, car crash, or bad spirits, can send this motherfucker home. He's lion heart, he's a fucking worse. 
Where's a corset for a man so his ties to not burst? And on dynamite, gas and he perspires. He's lying hot, there's no doubt or attire. He's lying hard. All right, he is Lionheart, and it was a very <laughs> nice song, but there's only so much of that I could hear. <laughs> but good job, Steph. I hope you didn't have any good jokes at the end, but Wait good job. Let's give him some anyway. It, it, it was there. Very, very uh, good vocal stylings there. All right, let's do one last one here. This was sent to Courtney Drive through at gmail.com from the wrestling cartoonist. Let's go to this. of Mighty Mouse here on the show. Here he comes to save the day. What do you think about the idea that they went with thank you, fuck you, bye there for the chorus? Did you think they were going there when you first got to that part? Um, well, I've, I was letting them explore their creative uh, juices, titillating them freely. An interesting choice, but thank you, the wrestling cartoonist who sent this in, and with that... Where's my uh, little musical instrument? Oh, shit. Someone moved all my stuff. With that, it's the internet service providers in your walls. With that, the drive-thru is closed. <laughs> all right. Is that Lemmy Winks? I'm going to have fun with it. <laughs> it's not Lemmy Winks. I'll be having fun with this after the show, but of course you can hear us and have fun this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And next week, right back here on the drive-thru once again, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Get information about all the shows. Go through the archive today at patreon.com slash cornette. Get access to the shows going back to 2013, patreon.com slash cornette. And of course, remember to subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full shows, clips of shows, omnibus collections. We are approaching 
350,000 subscribers. Be one of them today. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. There'll be two of them. No, be one of them. We like to do it honestly. We don't want to be dishonest about this thing. Maybe you do, but I don't. But of I course, have no such qualms. I'm morally bankrupt. Well, you can see more of this bankruptcy on Twitter. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget about the wrestling news at thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Jim, what's going on over at Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com? Well, they're all going on on a constant basis. If you've been turned away for a Cornette face t-shirt in a couple of sizes over the last week, we ran out, but we are restocking, and they will be up very soon. And cameos, Saturday, March 4th, noon Eastern time while they last. At jimcornette.com. Of course, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen Pinu, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on the drive-thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bomb fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive-thru Corny's drive-thru Corny's drive-thru Well, it's all elite wrestling Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pino, everybody. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.